Welcome to Fox Trading in the Foxhole, episode 17, season one. Yeah, we're starting to get up there. Uh, really early on a Wednesday. A lot going on this week, obviously with the baseball playoffs starting yesterday, NBA finals start tonight, NFL and college seasons are full bloom, so... Yeah, a lot to talk about today. Got got Alec Ford back for not one, not two, not three. Oh yeah, it is three segments. Guess we can't go LeBron and go all the way up to eight or nine like he did way back with the decision. Um, always thank the folks at www.purpleplanet.com for the wonderful theme song. Um, yeah, let's see here. F-T-I-N-X-F-X at gmail.com if you want to send me any feedback, emails. Now, like I said, exciting times. The, just having to do this broadcast. Finally uh, got the stuff done for the companion podcast, and we'll be rolling that out here another day or two. Hopefully that'll be intriguing and a slew of interesting guests to come there. In the in the weeks to come, you know, definitely we'll be putting some more details on that on our social media page, which is if Gmail. If you already haven't liked it, not Gmail. G. <laughs> it is eight fourteen in the morning. But Facebook, Fox trying in a foxhole. Give our uh, Facebook page a like so you can get updates and all that wonderful stuff. Well, all right, here. Let's not waste too much time. Like I said, there's so much going on as we've been doing in recent weeks. At Boom Talk Studios, going with the 40,000, 43,000 foot view above campus. And, you know, this past weekend, I just really felt finally like it was college football again. There were some things that happened this week that sort of ensure that. We'll get to that in a minute. But there were actual games that mattered. And you just got that sense that, oh, okay, this is serious stuff. But of course, with the specter of COVID looming large as it has been all basically all of 2020, um, a, lot, a lot of trepidation going on still. As we saw that uh, the University of South Florida, they paused football after you know having some concerns with positive tests after their game with Notre Dame. And on top of that, the Notre Dame's game with the Wake Forest that was scheduled has been moved to 12-12. So... Was as we always keep talking about that. Yes, the games move forward, but it seems like the more games move forward, the more more complications get involved. As North Texas and Houston, their game scheduled for this past Saturday was postponed. Uh, the fourth time that uh, the Cougars have been unable to play, which is pretty much like being in a holding pattern at SFO. If you know. If you've ever experienced that, you know what that's all about. And I feel that teams like, like Houston, Baylor to some extent, even though they were finally able to play. Um, let's see here. Virginia Tech was without 12 players and a coordinator with their game against North Carolina State. Not good stuff. I see, you know, that Penn State had 20 more positive tests in their latest run of, of, of conducting tests last week. And then... You have a situation in Boulder. I told you last week how they got in trouble for going on that massive hike with all these people in violation of state protocols. Well, they were required to stop practice this week as Boulder County had permitted 
gathering among students aged 20 to 20, 18 to 22, excuse me. They're going to have a two-week ordinance where basically they don't want people of those ages in large groups, which means Colorado can't practice. Lucky for them, you know, the Pac-12 season's going to start a little bit later. So it it's going to impact them for the number of reps they're able to get in. But as long as they don't have any major tests, it shouldn't prevent them from getting back on the field. So I mean, there was a, a delay with, with Georgia Tech and Syracuse where because three members of the uh, Syracuse team had to be retested because of uh, you know the false negatives and all that sort of thing. Um, it took a lot of caution and had everybody retested, but everything came out well and they were able to play that game, which as I keep talking about the Coos, they actually got on the uh, winning side. But we'll get back, we'll get to all that and the, the recap of the scores. So before I get into the the hardcore stuff, I will just say as far as COVID impacts, and we're always you know bringing up the the financial impacts, which as we know are have just been huge. It's hard to get around that, uh, and I've told you about schools talking anywhere from 60 to $100 million in losses. And last week, down in Raleigh, uh, and the, uh, officials announced that, you know, following a shortfall in projected revenue due to the corona uh, or COVID pandemic, they, were go- they handed down, uh, and yeah, NC State handed down reductions in furloughs to counterbalance what they think is going to be a 25 to $35 million loss in revenue. Always bringing these numbers up. I mean, think about it, people. Twenty-five to thirty-five million, and they're actually playing games. That just tells you what kind of hit not having the fans, not being able to play non-conference games against a big opponent, uh, even reduced TV money. These are it's hitting across the boards. And as I've said, and I don't want it to sound. Coming from such a cynical point of view, but that's the reason why we're pushing on. It's not the interest so the kids can play, it's so everybody can get paid. Simple as that. And as we were talking about last week, the Pac-12 is going to return to play. Uh, definitely money-driven, because as, as a Pac-5 member, they stand to lose quite a bit. Even though they haven't been so forthcoming as some of the other conferences and their woe is me as far as telling the numbers... I know being here in Eugene, we know what the impact is going to be as it's already hit. What's this? What we'd be like three, four weeks into them, and most of those non conference games are here at Autzen Stadium in town. Yeah, anyways, we're gonna play a seven game schedule starting 11 6. The Mountain West is gonna play an eight game schedule scheduled for 10 24. We'll talk about the Pac 12 with Alec in a little bit. I think it's a little foolish for them not to start at the same time as the Big 12, I mean Big 10, excuse me, and play eight games and be on par for that. I think, uh, I think it will give the, it'll put the conference at a disadvantage starting later and having that game. It may also work into the fact that, you know, so as we will get to in a second, we had some really big upsets that have already um, rattled the top of the top 25 as far as if we had some ranked teams going there and we had some major upsets. So it could hurt, maybe not, especially if these teams who haven't really gotten a lot of reps, not a lot of familiarity, and are not in rhythm, right? It's a mid-season rhythm that you'd probably be at this time of year. 
and not having the tune-up games, they're much more susceptible to upsets like we saw this past weekend. I will say before we uh, get into what actually happened on the field, I forgot to mention this last week. Kudos to Neon Dion for taking the Jackson State job. Definitely pretty cool that he's hitting up the you know the H the, the, the HBCU circuit, bringing some visibility there. We talked about that in previous episodes that the push to, to get those schools more visibility by having top recruits go to these schools, and now you're going to have someone like Dion with a as he promised us to have a pretty star-studded coaching staff. Hope all of the best. Definitely's going to do good and. Those schools could use more visibility in terms of you know all the great NFL players and NBA players that these institutions have provided to the sports over the years, and it's as we talked about with uh, the Maker Cade that you know it'd be it'll be wonderful if he starts a trend, but it can't be a one and done thing. It, it, it's going to take some sustainable time to get a, a lot of African American recruits to choose those institute institutions. Um, I, I don't know. Football may be possible, if, especially if you can get some more high-profile names like a Dion to come. So what happened on the field? Because a lot, of hap- a lot went on you know, with Florida and Ole Miss. Coaches and players took a knee in the spirit of unity. Got some serious uh, feedback going from that, but this is what's going on. And I just think that the more fans sort of Accept accept it and just move on. You don't necessarily have to agree with it, but you know, forget about the booze. Forget about going to Twitter to t- you know to call people out and all that other good stuff. So on the actual field, so Kansas State upset number three Oklahoma Sooners, which for the second straight year K State comes with a big upset, and this is pretty painful. Not sure how hardcore this is going to impact the Sooners' chances. <coughs> Excuse me. Chances for being in the national playoff. You know, with this weird season, it's hard to say whether an early loss like this will come back to haunt you come mid December. Uh, my favorite story, as I keep telling you, the raging Cajuns remain undefeated after beating Georgia Southern. Florida uh, cruised uh, over Old Miss, the game I was talking about where everybody took a knee. Uh, 51-35, Kyle Trask threw for six touchdown passes. And then another shocker, Mississippi State, upset number six, defending champion LSU. I mean, what was their first loss in, I think, like 17 games or something like that. Uh, former Cal guy, K.J. Costello, passed for a SEC record 623 yards. And this is like the first time a national champion had lost an opener since 1998. 26,000 fans in attendance. It's going to be interesting to see what the data reads about that and if people were able to follow the protocols, stay masked up, and you know all the things to stay safe. That many people there. Obviously, with LSU being upset at home, I'm sure folks you know wanted a drink or two or four to drown their sorrow. So not to make too much you know, humor into that sort of thing because the coronavirus and, and its impacts are quite serious. But yeah, we're going to have to see what kind of data comes out of that mass gathering. Um, number eight, Texas Tech in a thriller rallied to beat their state rivals, Texas Tech, in overtime 63-56. to 56. 
watched that game. It's pretty spectacular. I thought that the Horns were going to join the upset uh, ranks, but give them some props for being able to fight back. You know, fantastic game. A lot of good games over the weekend. Georgia took care of Arkansas after trailing early. Auburn beat Kentucky 29-13. Uh, Cincinnati beat number 22 Army in a game of ranked teams, with Cincinnati being number ranked 14, and Army 22nd, that was what, 24-10. Oklahoma State took care of West Virginia. Uh, number 16, Tennessee, squeaked past South Carolina by four, and number 18, BYU crushed Troy. Oh, yeah. Miami, number 12. Uh, continued Florida State's nightmare that just doesn't seem to end. 52-10. to 10. Can't blame that man, Coach Willie Tegras. He's long gone. Even some people thought that he's brought soft players and that everybody has just quit there. Not really understanding a team in Florida. There's so many great football players there. And with a tradition like the Seminoles have, I mean, darn, instead of taking the job you know, at, the, at Jackson State, Maybe they should have hired Dion because clearly there is something amiss in Tallahassee. This is too strong of a tradition to look as bad as it has done the last couple of years after after Jimbo Fisher uh, walked away. Not a good situation. I mean, you know, I'm no big fan of CWT as we used to call him here at Coach Willie Taggart, but obviously the malaise going on there goes beyond him because he's long gone. You know, can't blame all of us on Willie. It's just a real big mess down there in Seminole Nation. Yeah. Um, and another one of our crazy moments over the weekend, I see that Kurt Bethard of Illinois State, uh, related to the legendary Bob, Bobby Bethard of the Washington football team, the architect of the early 80s teams, and also related to 49ers backup quarterback C.J. Bethard, um, he left his job at Illinois State over a Black Lives Matter flap. Apparently, him taking a sticker down that was on his door was was perceived the wrong way. Conversations started happening on social media, and he just said, "The heck with this! I'm walking away." Um, definitely want a little more details about this because you know, as I always say, not so much of embracing. Or, or having it force fed, but I just think it just serves you right just to walk on and keep your opinions to yourself because people take the Twitter, start calling you out, and then you try to defend it, and it just don't, yeah, it's unavoidable. I mean, it means avoidable is what I'm really trying to say, is that you know right? It's just one of those battles that when it comes to choosing and picking, yeah, you know, you know, keep keep stepping, especially. It's too easy to lose your job in this point or give the school unnecessary publicity because once it hits Twitter and people start calling you out, especially before they have the facts, and if the facts are true, just not a good look. Keep moving away. All right, so I'm going to take a quick break here and set up my segment one with Alec. We're going to continue this discussion looking down at campus from 43,000 feet above. Outstanding. Be back in a moment. All right. Fox 
Trotting in a Foxhole, Season 1, Episode 17. Your faithful host, Ken Harlan here, live from Boom Talk Studios, deep in the heart of Eugene, Oregon. As promised, we are going to do an encore interview. Uh, I should say not encore, but uh, an, uh, having him back for a return performance, and hopefully the, the second of, of many, as he's a great contributor to the show. And we're going to do a three-segment show today as far as having him up for an interview because we had a lovely discussion the night before last talking about many of the topics that are brought up on this show. So without you know, further ado, I'm going to bring you the first segment with Alec. All righty. So we finally have back for an encore presentation my good friend, Alex, Alec Ford, <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about several things on this uh, segment. Well, it's actually going to be multiple segments with uh, Alec, and I think the first thing we want to talk about here is the uh, NCAA season that we talked about last time. So without further ado, welcome back, Alec. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Thanks for having me back on the show. Oh, fantastic. Always, whenever we can, for sure. Um, so let's see here, because we spoke about this at length the last time that we talked, and I'm kind of curious now that we've gotten some more data and some time, but the big, with now that all the big five power schools have announced that they will be playing some sort of season in 2021, what do you think about it, all of this? Well, you know what, um, we, well, what I think was a positive development to getting the season started, at least getting the Big Ten and Pac-12 back was the news of those um, rapid COVID tests that you could get. All right, that seemed to be the first step into getting the Power Five, the, all of the Power Five back. Um, the rest of it, I mean, I thought personally it was insane that the other leagues were going forward because there were just so many question marks going into uh, the season, playing a season about player safety. Um, I understand the money aspect, but there's just too much that we still don't know about this virus in terms of long-term complications. So to a degree, I still think it's insane. Now, having said that, if football's on on Saturday, I'm going to watch it. And, man, we had some very good games this past Saturday. The Oklahoma upset, and nobody saw that one coming. And, wow, how about Mike Leach debuting in the SEC? Wow goes right into Baton Rouge and has the Stanford transfer quarterback, KJ Costello, throw for almost, I think, over 600 Yeah, 623. Yards. 623 yards. Conference so, record. Conference record. So, you know what? We've got some positive storylines. I question the sanity. I question whether years from now they're going to get lawsuits um, for any long-term damage. But you know what? If it's on on Saturday, I'm going to watch it. Okay, well, that leads me into you know my second question. You've actually even led into the third one, but we'll start with the second one. Is that okay? That as I as I keep talking about on the podcast from week to week, and obviously what led into this segment, you know the 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 numbers keep racking up and teams keep canceling games. How do you see this enterprise playing out? You know now that now that we have moved forward, we actually have games, and the Pac-12 and Big Ten are going to come online here at the, at the end of next month and the beginning of November. Well, 
Okay, as we know, we've had twenty-three. We've had twenty-two games postponed so far. All right, just from kids, just from positive tests during the week, and not all of these are minor. Are teams involving? Um, are games involving minor teams or teams from non-power five conferences like OK State and Baylor have had games postponed. We had a battle of Virginia. The Virginia Virginia Tech game got postponed. Uh, ACC Notre Dame Wake Forest game got postponed. And Wow, poor Houston. Poor Houston. They've had four games postponed. I mean, that must be. And none of it was for um, issues involving their own team. So I see it playing out that I think enough schools, especially the Power Five where the money is, um, they're kind of seeing how canceling games is not good. And if you're a Big Ten and a Pac-12 school, you have to get through that schedule perfectly to have a shot at the playoff, I feel. And, I mean, for the Pac-12 sake, I'm not even sure that would be good enough to no, right? um, get through the schedule perfectly. I mean, um, one missed game here or there, and you're done with your playoff hopes. <laughs> but I hope they could get through. I do have my doubts because we're talking about 18 to 22-year-olds uh, right. here. That's what I was going to bring partying, up. Yeah, partying on the weekends. Oh, yeah. it's, it, we did, did you hear about what happened today, it. actually, with Purdue? Okay. Well, Purdue suspended 13 athletes because they had an on-campus party breaking the pledge that they made to, you know, stay out of these activities. And that's just mm-hmm. an example of what can happen in, in terms of, you know, as you say, asking these 18 and 22-year-olds to not party, not socialize, and do the things that they do. Right. Oh yeah, for sh- for sure. And I have my doubts. It's I- I'm fifty fifty. I think the only motivation is that the Power Five schools will really get on their players. I mean, they'll lock them down in dorms, apartments, and have uh, security guards on watch twenty four seven. I think if they had to get to that point, because they definitely want the payout if they're going to take the risk at this point. Oh, absolutely. So speaking of, since you since you did bring up uh, the Sooners and the and uh, the Bayou Bengals both losing over the weekend, do you see that as a trend given the unsettling circumstances that the season presents? Oh, I, I mean, I definitely see it as a trend. A lot of those a lot of those teams, um, they didn't get full training camp. They weren't in. Um, they weren't start. They not. They got no spring season. They got no spring scrimmages in no spring practices. So a lot of them could be very rusty. Plus in some of these games, some teams have been having to go without 13, 14 players. I mean, some of it's just due to contact tracing that they've had to sit out games. So I definitely see that as a trend, especially with teams that maybe not, don't have as much of a history of being elite. Now, having said that, like when I'm, when I'm talking about what Bama's built and what Clemson's built, I would bet those two teams will make it through the season unscathed, undefeated. But the other team, but the other high-profile teams, oh, it could easily be a trend. Especially like when we start the Pac-12. Um, I know right now there are different rules depending on the state you're um, That's in correct. right now. Like Oregon and California definitely have a lot more restrictions in terms of what they could do training compared to. Uh, and Washington, too, compared to the other states in the conference. And, well, you know what, that could lead to a surprising upset. I mean, sure. then again, surprising upsets happen every year. As a Duck fan, we all know what happened when they went down to Tempe last year. This is true. Um, 
<laughs> even, so, you know, anything could happen in any right. year, but this year is 2020. All bets are off. And something I might note that uh, when you speak of the other states, was it Colorado basically ban- uh, had to stop all football activities because the state put a ban on activities for athletes from like, I think, 16 to 22 for a week or, or two. I forget what the duration is, but that just yeah. came down like a day or two ago. Oh, yeah. And another thing that I guess that you have to keep in mind is you could have injuries pile up like crazy as you get the season going. Because, like you said, a lot of these players have not got the training they would have had in the normal in a normal college football season. True, 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 true. So let's let, let's talk a little Pac-12 and let's talk about Larry Scott. I know that we exchanged a few uh, texts about the man. I mean, uh, how do you think he handled this and, you know, what looks to be a continuation of questionable decisions on his watch? Well, I could go off about Larry Scott for hours, if not days, but I'm aware we have a limited amount of time on this uh, podcast here. But if we're talking about the COVID situation, all right, at the beginning, cancel. I had no problem with him um, canceling the season at the beginning, especially after the Big Ten did, because I understand you're trying to look out for players' health, and also you're trying to protect yourself from a future lawsuit that could happen if there's any long-term complications, all right? Having said that, once it became clear there was moment that the Big Ten was going to play and there was momentum for the Pac-12 to play, I thought he's handled it very badly uh, since then. I'm not even talking about – I could even, like, go on to a tangent about the bonuses that were given to the no people doubt. in the office. But I'll keep that about the fo- – I'll keep this about the football here, is that if you're going to play a fall season and risk um, possible future litigation – there's no point in playing a fall season, in my opinion, if you're not going to put your conference in the best possible position to make a playoff. Essentially make it so that if you get an undefeated champ, which the Pac-12 has had trouble getting, that that undefeated champ gets to go to the college football playoff. When I see that the Big Ten start, is going to start their season October 24th, and even a smaller conference like the Mountain West is going to start a little bit later in October, the fact that we are waiting till November 7th to start, I think it's a foolish choice to play fall in, if you're not going to give your teams a chance at the playoff. And I am not 100% sure that he's did it. If he was going to start, he needed to react quicker right after the Big Ten made his decision. Should have had a decision in place within a day yourself and get this thing going. But he waited a whole week after the Big Ten had decided to return and i mean we'll see if this plays out i mean i could be wrong maybe a 7-0 and oregon team could sneak into the playoffs but i mean i have my doubts whether they would get in over a 10-1 team from the sec or big 12 even well do you feel that getting the later start and let's say a team goes on the run as these upsets that we've talked about does that possibly give the pac-12 whether it's Oregon or USC or whoever it may be, a possible leg up just because of the uncertainty that's already happening and it's going to continue, I would imagine, in the weeks to come before they even start to play. Oh, no, it could get, I mean, it could give them a leg up in because, I mean, maybe there's 
that maybe you get testing under control. I mean, you get your testing down, so or you get a protocol that avoids games having to be canceled, like we've seen in other conferences. And I mean, I guess maybe the theory, if we if all these big schools that are playing more games, they're more likely to beat each other up, like we like we've talked about earlier. We saw with the Oklahoma and the LSU upset. So if a team can get a scave, I mean, I. And the committee is looking at that zero next to the name. It could give them a leg up because it could make it so they avoid upsets. But I would say, I would think that's more the case if we were talking about the SEC, which is getting like, which generally gets the benefit of the doubt when it comes to football. But considering the Pac 12 has, I'm sorry, this might upset a lot lot of my uh, West Coast friends has clearly become fifth in the pecking order of power five conferences. So I do not think the Pac-12 would get the benefit of the doubt that a big, that a big 12, that any other conference school would get, uh, to be frank. No, there's definitely been a bias that's, that's definitely happening in this, you know, college playoff era as far as the Pac-12 sort of being on the short end of the stick. But let me ask you this about, because you brought up Oregon, and I noticed that, you know, Sewell's out now. I uh, just saw that their uh, safety, who's a projected NFL uh, pick, is, is also going to sit out as well. So, uh, Holland, right? So, yeah. how, does, how do you feel those two guys opting out? Is that going to hurt the Ducks' chances as far as the pick? Oh, I definitely think it will help hurt the uh, Ducks' chances. I mean, they had a – I mean, they basically had the sec- – with the new quarterback coming in, having a guy who will be a top – probably top three pick in the NFL draft uh, protecting his blind side is something you definitely wanted to have. And now they have a little bit more inexperience on the lines. And obviously with the safety um, opting out, it's just one after another, but, and I think it hurts them. And for the record, I don't blame either one of them for doing it because I wouldn't take the chance either, especially when you have a million dollar payday right around the corner. Millions, yes, indeed. Millions, yeah, millions of dollars of paid money that right around the corner. But at the same time, I guess it will hurt Oregon, I feel, on the field. Now, having said that, when you've looked at Cristobal's recruiting classes the last since he took over as the coach, I definitely feel like there's more raw talent on the Duck roster than any other team in the Pac-12. There'll be a younger team next year, but if they could put it all together, I don't see a reason why they shouldn't win the Pac-12, even with these opouts and even with losing Herbert to the NFL. So if they don't, let's just 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 say who do you who who do you see as possibly taking the Pac-12 if it's not Oregon? Because obviously they're the favorite. If it's not Oregon, um. I think there's a lot. There's always a lot of talent at USC, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, Clay Helton has been on the hot seat the last two years and has somehow survived it both times. Um, so I could see USC. A sleeper I would look out for is uh, Arizona State. Believe it or not. No, I think the um, same thing. Herm Edwards in his third year now. He has built a good culture there, and man, from. Watching the side, like, he has brought a lot of um, NFL alum onto his coaching staff, like from Marvin Lewis, Antonio Pierce, and 
And I, they play tough every game. Like, sure, that watched, game against the Ducks wasn't a fluke last year. Uh, you know, that Jay showed some athleticism and, you know, a real big playability that really caught Oregon off guard. And I don't believe that was a fluke. No, I don't believe it was a fluke. And I think Herm is building that program to something that to something special there in Tempe. And I've always thought that was a sleeping giant, Arizona State, because they're in a Phoenix, they're in a big metro area in Phoenix with a lot of talent. And they've net outside of like one years here and there, like I mean going back all the way to Jake Plummer, they've never they where they had a Rose Bowl appearance. For whatever reason they've never been able to have sustained success they've always kind of been stuck in that seven five six and six type team but i think they found the right coach to get them out of that funk and i think this year with everything that's going on it's the perfect year for arizona state to rise up and possibly win a pac-12 championship well, not a lot of room for error you know, with the limited schedule. So let me ask you this, but then we'll transition out of this segment and then we'll move on to something else. But um, this is going to set you up for the next time I have you on here. But however, <laughs> let's talk some let's, uh, This is a quick hoops question because I see that teams and conferences are angling for the end of November, first week of December to start, start up. So my question, I guess, would be, can this work or do you see even more problems than we're seeing currently with football getting on track? Um, man, man, that's, that's a tough question. I could see it working because I just feel like these colleges, especially at the bigger university, they've kind of, they could kind of watch football and baseball too, to see what's happened with the positive tests and just put stricter protocols, make, um, make rules. Now I know they've talked about starting in bubbles. Um, that's something that might be a good idea. Like the Maui Invitational was um, moved to North Carolina. Well, right. And, where and many of the events, to, um, many of these tournaments are going to be held in the Disney bubble. You know, obviously ESPN having some pool, right? I think I, like 10 or 12 events, I believe, or tournaments mm-hmm. are going to be in the bubble between the, the end of November and the beginning of the year before conference starts. Yes, yes. I, yes, I saw that. So, I mean, that could be a good start to the season. I mean, similar to how MLS got their Mm-hmm. season going and then from there i mean i see i have my doubts though simply because we are talking about 18 to 22 year olds so i mean I, I at the end of the day i actually am more confident they'll pull it off than i would have been if you had asked me this question three or four weeks ago because they basically seem to be going full steam ahead heck even if teams test even if players test positive even if games are postponed it doesn't seem like there's anything that's going to stop them at this point. So I think they'll finish. I actually do believe they'll finish a season, how credible of a season it is. Um, how many games get played is another question, but I do believe they're going to chug towards having an NCAA tournament um, this season. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to believe that as well. There's too much money on the table when you hear about the sort of losses that I, I talk about in this, you know, 43,000 foot view, view above campus every week that, you know, schools are talking about 60 to a hundred million dollars in losses furloughing oh, workers yeah. and things like that. And it just seems that at this point, you know, it's a matter of, you know, financial, you know, sustainability that they, that, you know, they're going to have to push forward. Well, oh, I totally agree. And that's what they're going to do. I mean, fans at games might be out of the question, but 
they'll push forward. Yeah. Although, I mean, from seeing football, maybe some, depending on the state you live in, they might have games at 10 to 20% capacity. I don't know if they would do that at college, but um, they have that football and outdoor arenas, though. Like yeah, outdoor indoor arena does present, uh, uh, you know, all sorts of challenges as far as, I mean, you can make some kind of crazy justification for outdoors, but I mean, indoors, <laughs> you'd have to think people would be masked up or something like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what you would have to do. But, I mean, we know some states might let them try it and some won't. Yeah, I, mean, I have to say Florida and Texas. Well, cool. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, doubt. Sure. Well, all right. Well, let's, we're going to wrap this segment up, and we'll be back here in a, moment, in a little bit to talk about Las Vegas and the NFL. All right. Right on, right on, right on, right on. Always great talking to Alec. Uh, he's obviously going to be back for two more segments. Fun that he was uh, here in Eugene for many years before going on to Las Vegas. Wonderful insights. To be looking forward to uh, having a bevy of guests to give their expertise insights it's gonna be really fun over, over the next couple of weeks i mean that's one of the fun first believe me i enjoy sitting here talking as well getting amazed at how did you get an hour and 45 minutes I mean, don't you ever don't you find yourself running out of things to talk about no i don't and when i have guests on it even runs longer and that's the beautiful thing about this being your own podcast and not taking yourself too serious, we just sort of let things roll as they are. Not, not get too much into the heavy editing and overthinking the content, worrying about you know how I'm coming across. I kind of did it at, the, at first, but now I just feel like I've gotten um, more comfortable with it. That knowing practice makes perfect for more episodes. So we're on episode 17. Hopefully by episode 30, 32 when this first season is over, it'll be completely polished. Who knows? But yeah, this is really fun. Like I say, send me email. Direct message me on Facebook or something like that if you have any ideas. Uh, Critique, you know, you're not going to hurt my feelings if I'm doing some things that you just think I need to stop or can improve upon. Yeah, I'm not going to get all butthurt about it. So you know, anything to make this better and, you know, perhaps you know, grow our viewership because the content's worth checking out. You know, as opposed to, you know, watch, watch, listening to or watching or listening to Uncle Shay and Stephen A and Van Pelt, you know, all those guys. Just they have a certain agenda that we like to stay away from, at least in this podcast. Like I said, we try to keep all the politics out of it. Just call things the way we see it. And if we have to, you know, offer an opinion or two, we will. But in general, we just want to give the dope on sports. All right. So after that rambling, let's go to my favorite segment. What's up in the sports world and something you should probably know. Well, something that you hopefully know and definitely should, probably should know is the Tampa Bay Lightning won their first Stanley Cup since 2004. 
beating the Dallas Stars 4-2 in their best-of-seven series. This was their first championship since 2004, their second one in franchise history. Congratulations to the Lightning hosting the, hoisting the Cup in the Edmonton bubble. I'm sure the folks there are excited, especially with Tom Brady in the city and obviously the Lightning making a playoff run. Very exciting times in that city right now. And speaking of talking with Alec, we'll just continue with the Vegas theme that I can tell you that Kurt Busch won at Vegas in the latest run of the NASCAR Playoff Chase Cup. And that ends a 0-for-21 streak. As you know, Kurt and his brother Kyle are Las Vegas boys. This is the first time that Kurt has won at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Good for him. Uh, just is just off the wire. I see that Serena Williams in her quest for number 24 has been derailed once again, this time by an Achilles injury, which is going to force her to sit out at the major French Open at Roland Garros. Uh, let's see here. I think that we see that over in... Well, let me go to the beautiful game first before I get a, a major update about that. Other than... Um, PSG, okay, you know, I've always got to get my red and blues in there. Simple as that. They continue their winning ways. What is that, like four or five straight now? Starting to get full strength from the suspensions, COVID. As I was saying uh, last week, you know, the Bears have been poked. Everybody got their licks on when PSG is down. I think League One, you're in for a major beatdown for the rest of the year. But, well, who knows? I mean, kind of disappointed that they aren't making enough moves in this transfer window. I definitely know the Rabbit fan base is taken to, to Reddit and, and Twitter to voice their concerns about Leonardo not getting it done. Over in the Premier League, there are some interesting matchups. As Chelsea overcame a three-goal deficit to scratch a 3-3 draw with West Brom. Manchester United beat uh, Brighton Howe. And what I thought was kind of a shocker, kind of was watching it at the corner of my eyes. There were so many things going on for the weekend. But uh, Leicester City, the Foxes thumping Man City was 4 1. Like, Pep just had this so perplexed look on his face, just like saying, are, are you kidding me? Yeah, very, very strange stuff that went on there. Uh, on Monday, Liverpool topped Arsenal 3 1. And over in the Bundesliga, there were some really shocking results this past weekend. Uh, one with Osberg beating Borussia Dortmund 2-0. And the bigger shocker, Hoffenheim shocking Bayern Munich 4-1. As I keep talking about, you know, that defending Bundesliga, defending Champions League, Champions are un look unstoppable, right? Uh, look like they could roll through everybody and to see them... Really get waxed. Yeah, it definitely made my jaw drop to the floor. I wasn't, you know, I don't know. I wasn't thinking they could go undefeated all year. But I did not see them uh, taking a loss this early. We see that over in Syria, Inter beat Florentina. Over in La Liga, Real Madrid won 3-2. Barca won. They beat Villarreal. I forget what the score was. And I also... Been talking about my man Luis, Luis Suarez, finally gets to go to Atletico Madrid, 
And in their crushing win over Grenada, he actually scored a brace, having goals in the 86th and 90th minute. I'm sure he's happy about that. You know, Messi's giving us blessing. It's really happy to see. Over in our favorite domestic league, let's talk about a little bit of the, of the MLS. Well, both LA teams continue with the struggle. After uh, a solid run that the Galaxy had, as I was saying last week, Chicharito comes back, and gee, they go back to their losing ways. Really interesting, but really looked um, very flat in the loss of Seattle. And then there's my boys, the black and gold. And that would be the Los Angeles Football Club. Well, they were on Sunday night after NFL and all that sort of stuff. I get back here at, um, you know, 8 o'clock. Yeah, no, it was 7.30. And I was out doing some socializing. It was like a really excited. And you're playing San Jose. San Jose, worst team in the MLS. And what happens? Somehow, LAFC gives up a stoppage time game, a stoppage time goal, excuse me, to lose at home to San Jose. I mean, this is the San Jose that has been getting rolled over and pile-drived by the league. I mean, some really bad uh, results, you know. Granted, there's some reasons for that, I suppose, if you read in between the lines on soccer Twitter some of the other forums where people actually talk about these things. But LAFC losing, and I know that Carlos Vela isn't back, but you've got Edward Atuesta back. And it's just, I've, I've told you on this show in previous weeks about our rapid fan base, Rabbit. They're not doing well with this. Now, you know, clearly, the black and gold, great success story as they've been good from day one for the most part. I've been in the thick of things. And this is truly the first losing run of losing that they've had. And this is where they have always had a certain swagger and confidence, which really seems to be missing right now. I mean, in all aspects. They're not defending well. They're not really being too creative as far as, you know, their, their attack. Not doing well on set pieces. It's really a mess. And so... I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's just it's it's kind of a nightmare if you if if you're a fan of the black and gold. I think they'll make the playoffs. Whereas you know, Atlanta, as I keep telling you about the five stripes, another disappointing loss for them. You know, right they were up and down. They actually won midweek, and then over the weekend just looked you know really garbage. Philadelphia is quietly making a run in the East. You know, they had themselves a big 3-0 win. Columbus lost to Toronto, who's also positioning themselves for a playoff run. I think the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be a lot more exciting than we think. You know, there's always a tendency to talk about what's going on out west, but uh, I think what you're seeing with Philadelphia, Toronto, Columbus, and even New York City Football Club, who also got themselves a clean sheet, taking FC Cincinnati out 4-0. Um, Portland continues the roll, even with Blanco out, doesn't really matter. Just like I thought with the MLS's back tournament, better keep an eye on those timbers, you know, straight up. Um, yeah, let's see here. What else do we have here as far as things you should probably know in the world of sports? 
Well, we know that I haven't talked about the ladies in a while. That would be the Women's National Basketball Association. Well, now that we have this, we have the final set, which will start on Friday, and it will be the Seattle Storm and the Las Vegas Aces. The Seattle took out Minnesota, and Las Vegas took out Connecticut. So, for, for we'll be definitely keeping an eye on that and giving you some updates as far as what's going on with the WNBA. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with another little segment. All right, welcome back to Boom Talk Studios on an early Wednesday morning. Fox Trading in a Foxhole, Season 1, Episode 17. Yeah, it's a wonderful morning, and I can keep going back and forth, checking my computer. It's in this world of COVID sports, so many things seem to happen. As you can hear the ESPN logo, uh, jingle in the background, uh, going off of my tablet. Probably something happened here. Just for giggles, I think I'm going to reach over here and take a look. Yeah, and it is a huge day. We've got seven MLB playoff games, a NBA, uh, NBA Finals game. We, uh, we've also got uh, Man City. Manchester United and Byron all play into the... Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. A lot of good sports. Mind you, on a mid, mid-week, late September, last day of September. So speaking of the MLB, well, we'll just give ourselves a, a quick whip around the diamond. Obviously, the Dodgers, among things, clinch another NL West crown. I think we've been through that as far as winning crowns and what, what we mean by that. We know that Miami is back in the postseason for the first time in 17 years. Kind of makes you shudder because when Miami does make the postseason, they've had some success, as we know, in what, 97? And, uh, gee, what was, when was the other time they won it? Either way, the, that Miami in the playoffs is always an eye-raiser. Uh, I can we can also tell you that former Giant star Hunter Pence is retiring from MLB after a pretty decorated 14-year career. Enjoy your ride in the sunset. So what happened yesterday as far as the MLB playoffs are concerned? Well, let's take a look. So there were four games yesterday. As you know, there are 16 teams, and, and the sort of games are being played in, in Selected uh, locations, as we all call it, the uh, playoff bubble. But now, yesterday, we had the Astros and the Twins. Astros taking game one, four to one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kind of a surprise to me, but I guess talking to folks, it shouldn't be that much of a shocker, but we had the A's and the White Sox. Of course, I was thinking the way the A's have played, during the limited 60-game season. They were one of my favorites to represent the AL, but the White Sox, who a lot of people feel are the dark horse team here, opened their series with a 4-1 win. 
Tampa Bay has, has continued that wonderful week, except with the Buccaneers and the, obviously the Lightning raising the cup. It was a 3-1 score. And then obviously the Cleveland Indians and the Yankees. And I don't know. I wish, I guess because the Yankees had stumbled at, at, at a stage, not necessarily stumbled to the point where they're out of the playoff picture, but they did not, they cooled off in their hot start. And so I have to admit, I sort of take them for granted, but it's like they've come into the playoffs with a, a big head of steam. They took out the Indians yesterday, 12 to 3, 15 hits. I said they've been hitting home runs. Aaron Judge smashed a two run dinger. Garrett Cole was very impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely, right now, and I'm sure I'll change my mind from episode to episode, but. Yeah, I have to look. I think the I, mean, I could see the Yankees and the White Sox, you know, hooking up for a really exciting uh, ALCS. Let's see what happens in the in the rounds. And so for today, like I said, I think there's a game getting that just starting. But you know, my Dodgers and the Brewers will be on later tonight. Got Lakers and Dodgers going on at the same time. That'll be crazy, especially both playoff games. So. TV, a lot of people will have multiple sets up there. Uh, the Astros and the Twins will be starting at the top of the hour since it's 9 o'clock here when I'm doing this. We've got some uh, Cubs and Marlins action this morning. A's and the White Sox at high noon. Blue Jays and Rays at 1. Cardinals and Padres at 2. And the Yankees and Indians at 4. These are Pacific times, mind you. But yeah, there was a lot of baseball going on today. So exciting. Gee whiz. I mean, right, we're going to have Walker Buehler on the hill for the Dodgers tonight, which makes me smile. You know, always not having to watch Kershaw go out there and break my heart and make my uh, blood pressure go up. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I was, the funny thing is that, you know, let me go off on a quick side tangent here because I can because it's my podcast. <laughs> but we were talking with somebody the other day when it comes to Clayton Kershaw. And the guy's had a ridiculous career. We talked about him getting his 2,500 strikeout. You know, just all the way impressive. It's just really coming apart in these postseasons. And as a big fan of the blue that I am, it's it, it's uh, it's excruciating. Uh, I pull so hard for the guy, and he's so deserving of postseason success, but it just shows you how cruel this game can be. And I've often said that it's a lot to ask of him, the, the the amount of innings that he's pulled throughout the season, and then all of a sudden expect him to go in three games, which is fine. And even if he gets rocked, we've got plenty of talented bats in the lineup. And it's almost like, y'all, you know, you need to shoulder some of this break, but the, the blame of this too. Anyway, really looking forward to seeing, you know, if the, can the Dodgers avoid stumbling in the, in the early rounds, get to the World Series, and actually get it done. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <coughs> Excuse me. So, let's see here and move over to the COVID Chronicles. I think I'll actually squeeze this in to this segment and then do a long one for the NFL. 
So big news in the NFL, and this is a evolving story. Found out about it yesterday because I was out working on the Companion podcast. I'm not getting a lot, a lot of data yet. There's more data to come in, so bear with me as I try to um, give you an accounting of what the current and the latest of what I know. So yesterday, it was announced that Tennessee and Minnesota would close their facilities after eight people on the Titans organization tested positive for COVID. I believe it's three players and five others within the organization. Minnesota fought, you know, as a precautionary move, closed their situation. And at the time, no decision had been made. This was yesterday on, on the status of Tennessee and Pittsburgh on Saturday. But what we do know now, within the past hour or so, at least from what I understand, let me refresh this real quick, and I will. I can tell you this. So that's one of the things I really like about doing this. Of things just continually change in real time. And so, what we know now is that the Steelers and the Titans Week Four game has been postponed. Uh, they're not sure what's going to happen with the Vikings and the Texans yet. This is interesting. So. I was kind of wondering what the contingency plan is. Are they all of a sudden going to move the bye weeks for these two teams? I mean, I'm not sure how logistically this is going to play out. I mean, the great thing about having bye weeks, there can be a level of flexibility there. But I also wonder how that works out with the other teams. And I, I, I do see some serious nightmare scenarios here, but I'm sure the NFL had thought about this ahead of time. I would like to think so, but... You know, once again, this, this is all dropping. It just This obviously came, like I said, within the last hour or so. And I was actually on another call. And so I haven't even had a chance to, like, really get in and, and drill deep on this. But, yes, no football for the Steelers and Titans this week. I'm going to be really curious to see how, that's, how they figure out rescheduling this game that's not going to go on. See? Once again, you know, we talk about COVID. We're always hoping that the number of bullet points that are in my outline is smaller, and they are. But the point, but the problem is, the number of major stories about it may be decreasing. But all it takes is one or two stories like this for it just to slap you in the face. That having our games back is such. It's on such. A precarious fucking, you know, ledge. And we knew the NFL had been doing a good job. But as people said, it was going to be a matter of time. Uh, a very sad foot, I would have to say. That former Yankee and Dodger, also a popular broadcaster, Jay Johnstone, passes away from COVID compilation, compilations, uh, complications. Ooh, then need more caffeine here at like 9.20 in the morning. But yeah, um, COVID complications at the age of 74, as was last week. John Stone wanderings with the Yankees in 78 and the Dodgers in 78, being the odd thing that he swapped uniforms, basically, because the Yankees and Dodgers both played each other in 77, 78, and 81, you know, obviously countless times in the 40s and 50s. Would be nice to see it happen in 2020. But, you know, seeing that we didn't get the Lakers-Celtics, doubt we're going to get Yankees-Dodgers.
Uh, I can also tell you in the MLS that the Sporting Kansas City Colorado Rapids game was also called off after a positive test detected in both organizations. And also, it, the NFL came out and told the Raiders they could face sanctions for having unauthorized personnel in the locker room. I guess this happened after their Monday night win. Probably, you know, met some interesting folks along the way and said, hey, come and celebrate with us. The league's not digging it. Uh, on the flip side, this also, we're dealing with the Las Vegas Raiders. That uh, their boss, Mark Davis, is apparently furious with his players because they were maskless at a charity event that was hosted by tight end sensation Darren Waller. Broke the Nevada pro protocols as far as masking, social distancing. But um, yeah, Mr. Da Mr. Davis is not happy. So there's a lot going on. I also, we were also finding out here that the NFL is really talking tough. They have issued a very strong warning to coaches who don't wear a mask on sidelines. We talked about that last week. As you know, there were the fines handed out. Now, at this point, because folks are still flaunting this, it just came down today that the NFL is going to threaten suspensions and possible forfeiture of draft picks as punishment for failing to comply with the COVID-19 game day protocols. Shefty is apparently reporting this, and so we'll just we'll have to believe it. So that you know the fines that came out last week totaled a million dollars, and that clearly didn't uh, resonate with folks. So the league is definitely trying to send a strong signal that this isn't going to be tolerated. Yeah, as I keep saying, you know, it'd be really nice for us to get past this, but so far we just aren't doing that. Um, but at the same time, what do we have here? Five, six bullet points. It's getting better in terms of that you know, that, that the leagues are doing such a good job. But as we just saw with the case with this Titans-Steelers game being postponed, that, e that all it takes is one major story to send a major tremor down the, the lines in the, sports, in the sporting world. I think anything it doesn't get any bigger than an NFL game being canceled. I mean, obviously, these playoffs, but this is really monumental given that the, the, the Football is played once a week. And the logistics around rescheduling games a little bit harder than something that you can play multiple times during the week. Be really curious about that. We'll definitely have an update when we talk next week about this. Hopefully that gets resolved in a positive way. But yeah, you know, as they say, people, it's on. All right, so we're going to come back with another segment with Alec. Going to talk some uh, NFL football as well, leading to my segment about what went on in the NFL and the week three recaps. But we're going to talk first with Alex when I come back about what's going on in Vegas, especially now with the Raiders becoming the, the brightest light to enter the city that never sleeps. So see you on the other side.
All right, we are back again with Alec Ford. Now we've been talking about this segment for a while. We finally get a chance to do it as a former uh, resident of the great city of Las Vegas, Nevada, where my where my friend lives. Let's talk about the NFL in Las Vegas. So um, tell me what it's like now to have an NFL team finally playing in Las Vegas. Honestly, it's, I mean, as a general sports fan, a football fan, it is great to have an NFL team finally in Las Vegas. Now, the pandemic obviously put some complications in onto the start of the team. And I mean, if you would ask Mark Davis, I'm sure this isn't the way he wanted to introduce the Raiders in Vegas. And, but from seeing the ratings that they got in their first game, seeing pictures of bars packed or I should say bars packed at 50% capacity, however you want to interpret that. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be a success. Um, Their first home game at Allegiant, they got a lot of buzz for. Um, It was a 22.1 rating in Las Vegas, which was the highest rated Monday night football game in, in 10 years in the city. So, and I got to admit, I had my doubt, I had my doubts that, or, I should say it seemed that the pandemic had taken a lot of momentum away from the Raiders coming here because they were limited in the events they could do. Okay. Cause normally when a team comes to a city, there would be fan events like crazy going on. And obviously because of the pandemic, um, they weren't able to hold that. And I'll be honest, I wasn't feeling much buzz towards the Raiders three weeks before the season started. Could be lack of preseason games, and it could be because they couldn't deal with those fan events. But once the season got started and once the Monday night game happened and I just saw the ratings, I saw pictures in bars packed with Raiders. I mean, you would think that if this was a Raider town, that team had been here for years. But, I mean, that's obviously not the case. But I definitely think the Raiders will make an impact in this city. And another thing that confirmed that is yesterday – Um, I was at a bar watching football. I was going there to see my Niners play and the Raider game was on one of the screens. That was the game that was on that they had the sound going for. And every time the Raiders went to every time the Raiders made a good play, you've heard a roar from the bar and it wasn't just Raider fans there. It was fans of teams that were wearing jerseys like Seahawk jerseys, Bengal jerseys, whatever other teams. So, I think a lot of, there's a lot of transplants in the city, and I had my doubts this would happen, but I feel like a lot of the Vegas transplants will take the Raiders as like their second team at okay. this point because it's local. So the town's gravitating, and for folks that don't know, that NFL game day on Sunday is quite the experience for transplants and for people coming into town. It's almost like you know Christmas happening, basically 17, 18 Sundays, uh, uh, right? A year in the fall. I mean, it's like, as, as you've known, you've been there, what, now? How many years? I've been there seven years now. It's been that long? Damn. Yeah, it has. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah that is crazy. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's a, unique, it's a unique experience on game days. It's one of the funner things you can experience as a fan as far as being in the sports books and whatnot and really oh, yeah. curious about you know in terms of that you're saying that the, that the town's gravitating to the team and i guess my you know you've kind of answered this but let me you know drill down a little bit deeper because so you can't really have a game day experience per se right because of uh you know restrictions with the pandemic so so it's basically people 
gravitating to bars, sports books, and things, and people should know the difference between locals and, you know, strip hangouts as far as where, you know, the hardcore sports fans tend to Mm -hmm. go to. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what? So what? I mean, in terms of how are they? Do, how how is that evolving? I guess I know it's only been three weeks now and only one home game, but it's like the the game day experience that you since there is one, even though there's no hanging out in the stadium, which is you know, which I didn't realize it was so close to the strip when I was watching the overhead the other day. I was like, well, <laughs> damn, it's really that close. Yeah, it is. It is. So I well, mean, like I said, there's. The game day experience now is reduced to bars, but if you had, like I said, like I just said, if you had the headline last Tuesday after the Monday night game, which was exciting win for them. I mean, did not see this, them beating the Saints because I pretty I picked the Saints in that game because I didn't think home field really mattered in this season, basically. But having said that, um, the experience at the bars looks crazy and. Keep in mind, I haven't been to a sports book yet, but I've during a Sunday this season, but I'm sure it's the same exact experience there if I had to guess. Like I went to my uh I went to a bar about ten minutes from where I live on um on Sunday, mm-hmm. and you still are gonna get the same thing of like I mean, because that was a place where local everyone there is a local, um, including the friend of mine that I texted you a picture of. Mm-hmm. And um, the one and only. <laughs> yep, the one and only. So, um, so everyone there is a local, and they are all wearing the jerseys of whatever team they have loyalties to. But I definitely saw an excitement of whenever the Raiders had a positive play, which really wasn't that often in the game this Sunday. But I definitely sense a buzz. And what people don't realize is, I mean. Vegas seems like a tourist town, okay? Mm-hmm. In terms of just people that live in the city, we're the 39th, um, we're the 39th ranked TV market here. We're the 29th, we're 28th in population based off metro area. But we are, we've become a really big sports town, and I could honestly would not be surprised if in the next five six years we were a four city sport professional sports town. I mean. I don't think that's crazy to say because I think with the Knights and now with the Raiders, the the uh, anxiety leagues may have had in terms of putting a team in Vegas is now completely gone away. Well, let me ask you that here real quick. Let me just digress here for a second before I ask what I was going to. But in that sense of, you know, I, obviously I lived there, it seems like a generation ago, and it was. But, the, you know, the perception of, of gaming and professional sports and how odious it was why do you get the sense now that all of a sudden that, that it's being embraced and you can have the Knights and the Raiders and possibly somebody else come, come to Las Vegas? I mean, if you ask me, I think it's being embraced because it's always been an element of um, sports, gambling, okay? Even back when you lived there, I mean, there was always a huge presence of Absolutely. people that went to sport casinos to watch the games. And maybe... Um, they thought that there was fears with the integrity of the game, and we all know baseball had some, and football way back in the 60s had um, incidences yeah, of time. gambling sure. possibly affecting the integrity of an outcome. But I think at this point, they just they just decided to embrace it because they know how much fans it could be. And quite frankly, I mean, the experience, which up until two years ago you could only experience in Nevada of, 
betting on a game and then being able to go there and watch the game is one in a kind in a lot because it definitely makes going to the game more exciting if you're into gambling. And I think the sports leagues obviously – and I feel like they've obviously set down punishments for players gambling, and it's not – and when you look at nowadays when they're making millions of dollars with the salaries of the players nowadays compared to what it used to be, like just, let's say, 30, 40 years ago, um, the motivation to um, embracing gambling might be on the decline for some of these professional athletes because of the just the enormous jumps in salary. No, so I think all those factors have kind of um, come together to contribute these, to these leagues embracing gambling. Oh, sure, the success of DraftKings, so right, and the amount of revenue that it's, joint, that, that, it's, that it's generated for those folks that, that got the jump on that, it's too hard for these leagues to persist to get a piece of that. So, of course, why not embrace it for sure? Oh, well, yeah, and you get – yes, exactly. The leagues also want a piece of the action, so – so, which actually loops me back into what I was about to ask you. So, even though it's way too early to actually truly gauge, but do you get a sense of the Raiders having already an economic impact on the city so far? Oh, I mean, I do see them having an economic impact because, first of all, they spent $1.8 billion of public funds to build that stadium, mm -hmm. all right? And the people here in Vegas, yes, there's a lot of, locals that were like oh why don't we spend that when why don't we spend those monies on schools or various programs it's a waste of money but that's what a lot of people said which i mean i could understand the argument but at the same time you're not gonna i feel like you're not gonna spend 1.8 billion dollars on a stadium if it's not going to have an economic impact because you'll have more people traveling in sundays just for the experience of watching the games. Weekends will be crazy. And here's the thing. Eventually, you'll get a Super Bowl. You'll probably get a national championship, probably get a Final Four. So the amount of events that stadium will bring to the city will, will I feel, in the long run more than pay for the cost of the city. Because um, the NFL draft weekend in Vegas, I feel like the economic impact would have been felt already from NFL no draft question. weekend. It was it was supposed to be they were saying it was going to be like New Year's Eve three nights in a row that weekend. I mean, I had looked in the hotels on this. This was like right before the pandemic. Like you couldn't get a hotel for less than three hundred dollars a night anywhere near the strip that weekend. So the economic am impact was going to it like if the draft weekend had happened, if this pandemic had never um forced that draft weekend to get canceled i think a lot of vegas people would have seen the economic impact just from that weekend now unfortunately everything's delayed and obviously covid has um put a question mark into what kind of economic impact this could have but if everything had gone like if we hadn't had a one one in a hundred year event happen um i feel like the economic impact already would have been felt and the people that may have been against the stadium would have like come around to the other side by now. I okay. So then you know, we have the economics. So if, from a cultural sense, I know you kind of talked about this in terms of, you know, people and their secondary teams, but are you seeing like kids starting to wear gear or adults? You're seeing like Las Vegas Raider gear pop up through the city. 
Oh, I actually am, believe it or not. Oh, um, I believe it. In fact, um, Tuesday after the uh, Raiders won last week, and I actually saw a pickup truck while I was uh, driving on 95. Um, no joke, a Raider flag coming out of the back of it, like painted Raider logo. And this truck had Las Vegas Raiders on it. It didn't say Oakland, L.A., or just generic Raiders. It was Las Vegas Raiders. So this guy was my took that momentum he was he, he obviously seemed proud of repping his local team and around the city i'm definitely seeing a lot more las vegas raiders stuff and you kind of saw that a little bit because this was a unique circumstance like oh they played three years in oakland after they announced they were moving to las vegas so it was kind of a slow build up and unfortunately and there was a part of me that thought okay maybe people would get tired because Unfortunately, Vegas didn't have a uh, football, like even a place you could justify having an NFL team on a temporary basis. Um, That's also true. Boy, did we so, know that. I mean, yes, Sam Boyd Stadium just ain't going to cut it. So, no. <laughs> Not um, in anyone's lifetime. So, I mean, I had a questions about whether the buildup was too long, but after that Monday night game and after they started 2-0, and um, I feel like it's going to work here. And also, we got the right coach. I mean, the Raiders have the right coach for a situation like this. Oh, he's like you know, him in Vegas. What a, it was a match made in heaven, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of Vegas, is, this, is the Stanley Cup just wrapped up tonight? I know that the, the, the Knights had another run. How did how was that perceived in Vegas, and how did people deal with you know yet kind of another disappointment disappointment as they came up short? Well, so uh, kind of to piggyback off the Raiders, the mm -hmm. Knights have taken this town to storm in a way that I don't even think the most optimistic person in the world thought that they would become this popular in the city this quickly. All right, because you don't think of Vegas as a hockey town, really. It's a desert, 100 degrees. But um, going to the Stanley Cup Finals the first year and losing, I honestly don't think a lot of fans were um, that disappointed because for an expansion team to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, um, it's like just gravy then. I mean, I went out to the bars after they lost Game 5 to the Capitals, and – it was more of a celebration of a great season more than being depressed that you lost in the Stanley cup finals. And I saw some capital fans that were from out of town. And I mean, they were nice and capital fans were getting a long grade. It was like just a big, like congratulations. Cause people that flew in for Washington from that game, they have a bad history themselves. So, so I think night fans were able to appreciate they finally got their ring. Um, then last year, they lost. They had a very disappointing end to the season. But you found out how big of a hockey, fan, hockey town this had become just because everyone was just mad. Like, there were people that couldn't sleep. Uh, to give your viewers just kind of a uh, recap of what happened, they lost a three-goal lead in Game 7 because of a five-minute penalty that never should have been called. Um, and that's right. it basically sunk their season because fans felt like they could make a Stanley Cup run again. And then this year, they seem to have a good team. Like, their team's more talented than their first year um, here in Vegas. And in the conference finals, they, um, they pretty much dominated play. They just ran into a hot goalie. And, you know, that's something that happens in hockey. So 
there was disappointment this year, but I feel like most of the fan base is is all in on this team. Now, there's a lot of questions marks with COVID, but here's an interesting of American teams. Um, Vegas, the Knights have the third highest rating in their local market of American teams. So that shows how much the town has embraced them. And if you drive down the highway, you see license plate frames, those flags, you see all of it. So true, um, true, they're true. disappointed, but a lot of, of losing, but a lot of people are optimistic about the future of this, of the team in this city. Well, one thing I gotta tell you is that, that you were saying a second ago about people, not people being surprised, but see, I'm not because well, I lived there in the 90s, and they had that minor league team, the Las Vegas Thunder, and they used to have the guy for that played for Ottawa all those years, Radek Bonk. I mean, this oh, was, yeah. you know, because the thing about Las Vegas back then is they would always bring in these jive, you know, I almost want to say semi-pro type of leagues, you know, arena football, <laughs> major league soccer, and nobody cared. But that was the one minor league uh, league that actually people embraced, and they actually drew very well. For, for oh, yeah. that for well, that window. Here's the thing. If you go to a T-Mobile for a Knights game, it's an experience like no other. That's I mean, what I've they, heard. They put on a show. I mean, they. I don't think there's any NHL arena where it's more enjoyable to go to a hockey game there. And here's the crazy thing is that, yeah, obviously their weekend games get a lot of um, – I mean, you get a lot of tourists that come in to see their fans play or – when they play the big time teams like a Toronto, um, who I um, I got tickets for my friend Ben, who you've had on the show to mm-hmm. go see them play, it was an experience. But here's the thing: even if they're playing a Tuesday night game against like a Florida or an Ottawa, it's still sold out, and that's pretty much I would guess that's ninety percent locals that are going to those games. That's impressive. So. So let me ask you this then, as we as we get ready to wrap this up, this segment up is, would you say the Raiders are a bigger deal than the Knights, or are the Knights still uh, the toast of the town? I feel like the Knights are still the toast of the town just because of how new they are, the success they've had relatively early in their franchise, and because it's a Vegas-born team, whereas like the Raiders are a team that has a history of being in other cities like Oakland, LA, back to Oakland. So it's not a, it's not a town, it's not a Raider town yet comparatively to the Knights, I feel. But if the Raiders start winning, at the end of the day, football is the most popular sport in America. And if the Raiders start winning, then yeah, it's going to definitely turn. And I think a lot of people will embrace it. Now, the one thing I, the one thing I wasn't sure about comparing the Raiders to the Knights, is that for transplants to Vegas, hockey isn't as popular nationally as uh, football is, okay? So you're less likely to have a diehard, a team that you're diehard about in hockey than you are in football. So I actually thought to myself, okay, I know so many people in my life um, that are diehard fans of whatever team, Lions, Packers, Steelers, would they really embrace a secondary team? Like me, I'm a 49ers fan, so that's hard. It's hard for me to embrace the Raiders. Because no doubt. You, <laughs> you can't, it just everything. can't exist. <laughs> Even in Vegas, you know, as a 49er fan. So, like, I might be the last one to jump on that one just because of the rivalry we've had for years. But at the same time, I don't see that being the case as I thought it would be. Interesting. And so... 
last question for this segment then would be, what are you, what are you, okay, we talked about this a second ago, well, actually not a second ago, but a few minutes ago. So who, who do you envision tapping into the Vegas market next? The NBA, MLB, MLS? Well, okay, so I get, that's a tough one because I could see all three of that because MLS, we've got a, we've got a USL team the lights. called the Vegas Lights. Mm-hmm. They play in the same league as like the second teams mm-hmm. from like all those MLS, like the Timbers 2, the Sounders 2, Galaxy, Galaxy two. 2. I mean, I believe, does LAFC have a team? No, not league? yet. Not yet? Okay. So they play in the that league. And they had an expansion year that was nothing like the Knights expansion year. And I mean that in a negative way mm-hmm. in terms of how they did on the field. They were 10 games under 500, but they were fourth in attendance in that league, despite the fact their the product wasn't that good. They play at Cashman Field, which let's just say isn't in the best part of town. Yeah, I've been there many times. <laughs> to put it lightly. Oh, yeah, I know all about it. So I see that, but... Based off what they've shown they could draw at with that setup, I feel like the MLS will look into getting a team in Vegas. Now, there's a part of me that thinks the MLS has expanded too fast, and maybe they'll put the brake on expansion, which might hurt Vegas. But, I mean, seeing how this Vegas uh, market has reacted to a soccer team in a minor league that hasn't done so well on the field, I mean, I think they should try to sneak Vegas in before they put the brakes completely. Now, MLB, I feel like, I feel MLB's next, if I had to make a guess. Um, Tampa Bay has had, is not having much success with their stadium, as we all know. This is true. Um, I don't believe they have a stadium deal. No, they don't. Not yet. To show how much of a Sports town as this has become, uh, Vegas built the stadium in downtown Summerlin, which is not like which is kind of a tourist area for older people, mm-hmm. but not really um, like people don't go there to party or necessarily um, if you're coming in from out of town, I should say. But they opened up a Vegas ballpark down there, right next to where the Golden Knights practice, and it was a hard ticket to get last summer when they. Um, were playing. Um, they were first in AAA in attendance. And this isn't even a stadium that's anywhere near the strip. Right. And I just think based off of that, that they could get a um, – I think they're going to get an MLB team. I don't know if they'll tear down the Rio to build a new stadium there. That was a rumor that was shot down. I didn't hear but that. I Interesting. I believe Manfred wants to expand two teams to get to 32 – but he's waiting to see the Rays and A's stadium play out first. Now, one thing that I think helps Vegas right now is is with all these leagues, with getting a team to Vegas, is the pandemic that just happened, All that's happening right now. All these leagues are going to lose a ton of money because reality is I don't see fans in full – I don't see fans in full arenas until 22 at the earliest. You might get partial capacity in um, some places, but I don't see the leagues running the way they were pre-COVID for another two, three years. Right, and expansion. Yeah, expansion is pretty much on the back burner for the short term, sure. Mm -hmm. 
And the Kraken, the Seattle Kraken, the expansion mm-hmm. team in Seattle, paid $650 million. I feel like these owners are going to want to try to make up some of their losses, and they might grant expansion. I'm just speculating. I don't right. have any information. But I speculate they might want to approve expansion just so they could get those fees to make up some of the losses with COVID. Now, NBA, we have an arena. T-Mobile, the Knights play in it. Mm-hmm. The thing, the reason why I think that's the least likely right now is I just don't see a team in danger of moving that has a shaky arena situation. Well, the right. closest was Phoenix, and yeah. Sarver did use the threat of moving the team to Vegas, but they've they've are the city of Phoenix has agreed to put money into the renovations for the Suns Arena. They right. got a nice young team, so and, I feel and like let's face it, Seattle basically who the league is still guilty about still can't get in. You know, there's been talk about yeah. bringing the Sonics back, you know, for the last decade, and that it's, I don't even see that on the horizon. No, I don't even see that either. Now, now expansion has not been talked about in the NBA. I have not even read any. Nope, because it's not it's not up for discussion. Leagues, unlike the other leagues, but. Maybe they feel like they need an exp- – maybe when the reality of the money they've lost or they're going to lose in the next two years comes to fruition, they decide to do that. And, heck, you know, Vegas and Seattle, two perfect cities to put expansion NBA teams, kind of follow the NHL route in that regard. So, so yeah. I mean, but I do eventually see it happening that they get the teams. Now, the NBA has a further path, but MLS, MLB – I could see that happening in the next five years. I really can't. Right, and Vegas was on track. I mean, along with Phoenix, is you know it depends on who you believe. But the as far as this possible MLS La Liga merger, where you where you'd have multiple divisions and true you know pro rel, that Vegas was definitely on track. But I don't know now with this COVID situation and how that's pushed you know, teams back. You know, obviously like Miami, for example, just got online this year as the stadium plans, but really can't do anything because you're not generating revenue. And I think a lot of people fall into that particular situation. Yes, and the problem is MLS would have to build an arena, but there has actually been talk of an MLS arena. Um, picture, I know you used to live here, picture where South Point is mm-hmm. to like the M Casino if you're driving towards California. Um, there has been talk of using some of that empty space to make an MLS arena. I've heard that. In yeah. For a team. So, but like I said, the pandemic, put, the pandemic puts a lot of things, just puts a big question mark. A b- a huge lot. question mark, without a doubt. So, and that's, you know, going to be interesting. But we also, we, we're pretty confident that Vegas is going to have, you know, a major say there is expansion with the leagues down the road, given the success yeah, of. Because I think that team. Okay, when people, the Knights have easily become a top five team in a local, in, in terms of popularity within a local market. So I think owners will see that and think of the dollar sign, and then the Raiders look like they're going to be a success in the market. So they are going to I be. I just think because, and then when you look at the minor league teams I talked about. I definitely think Vegas will be a top option for expansion. Now, unfortunately for your uh, friends in Oregon, at least when it comes to baseball, I feel like Vegas could basically take away the team that Oregonians have been, at least in baseball, like I I just said that, but 
Vegas could definitely take away the team that Oregonians have been pining for for years up in Portland. Yeah, Portland had their window earlier this century, and they sort of like, you know, dropped the ball on that. And now, you know, given the political situation, I just don't see it happening. I know that you've got people like Russell Wilson and all those books in that group, but there was a lot of resistance, and I think that the leagues are going to see an easier path as far as dealing with Portland and it being so landlocked. Yeah, it is landlocked. Now, I do know Manfred wanted specific time zone teams mm -hmm. for travel reasons, but I also see Vegas, I also see him just going to possibly – if he expanded the 32 and he got the Rays and A's stadium situations resolved, I could see him going like Vegas and then maybe try to get Montreal back in the league. Right. And Nash, I feel like Nashville or – I feel like a city like Nashville would be good for oh, an expansion team. That's true, and you can't count out Sacramento. I mean, Sacramento's about to get an MLS team, and they're quietly putting together quite a you know professional sports organization as far as bringing the teams together and trying to attract. I mean, organization is not the right word I'm thinking of, but uh, you know what I'm talking about in terms of you well, know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sacramento. I mean, people need to keep it. The Kings had the the Kings still might have the longest sellout streak in NBA history. I don't know if it's been passed, but they and they weren't even really good except for like a five-year period in right. the early part of the century. And they sold out 20 years straight at oh. one point. So they'll definitely support a team in Sacramento. Oh, absolutely. As somebody who, who knows that part of the universe quite well, as far <laughs> yeah. as the Valleys go, it's the only show in town. So yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Well, cool. So let me wrap this up, and then we will get down to our last segment talking about the NBA. Yeah. Okay, be back momentarily. All right. All right, welcome back. Episode 17, Season 1, Fox Strike in a Foxhole, live from Boom Talk Studios on a very tranquil Wednesday morning in the Pacific time zone as I'm sitting here getting this podcast laid down. Uh, great, another segment with Alec there. Uh, very excited about what's going to happen in Vegas in the years to come. Just got a text from him a, a little while ago when there's actually an article where the Buck Utter says it's a matter of, of when and not if there'll be an NBA team in Las Vegas. Obviously, like they were listening to our conversation. So it'll be very exciting for that city to become uh, a professional sports hub as we move through the next decade. So let's see here. Just, okay, we just had a lengthy discussion with Alec that kind of covered the NFL and other things. Let's let's give ourselves a quick review of the week that was in the No Fun League. Well, I think one of the more bizarre stories that came out of last week, coming out of Los Angeles, and I'm not talking about the Rams, talking about the Chargers and how their team doctor apparently um, aggravated Tarot Taylor's injury by with a misplaced injection. Right, you know, got him in the lung as opposed to the cracked rib, I believe, that he suffered. And that's why Oregon local sensation Je uh, 
Justin Herbert has been able to step in there and be, be, have two very impressive performances. We'll get to that in a minute. I mean, obviously, there's a con quarterback controversy. I don't think there's much of a controversy. I think uh, Mr. Taylor is going to get frustrated as you know, Justin has two 300-yard performances, came up a little bit short on the scoreboard. But, man, he looked, as we all, some of us, Alec, as we talked about previously, we always knew this kid had, you know, big-level ta talent from day one. Kind of feel like Oregon uh, underutilized him in his four years here. I know a lot of it was to protect him, which is kind of wise, but you're seeing now the kind of things he should have been doing when he played for the Ducks. And I think that Willie, Cristobal, Arroyo, these guys held him back a little bit. Anyway... Injuries are really dominating the the, the storylines as we you know start looking ahead to, to week four with uh, people like Michael Thomas from New Orleans out, Mark Ingram, Justin Jones. We found out over the weekend that uh, quietly you know solid tight uh, defensive tackle from the Washington Football Team, Matt Ioannidis, he's out for the year. Taurus biceps, Chase Young was hurt in that game. 49ers already reeling with the massive injuries. Obviously, suffered another one with Jordan Reed, the former Washington football standout tight end. Now, he gets hurt all the time, but the fact that it happened, you know, the MetLife turf as it strikes again, I'm sure Kyle Shanahan and uh, Mr. Lynch are going to have a few things to say about that. But yeah, it, you know, given the, as we've talked about previously, the. Lack of preseason games, reps, you know, all those things you hear on TV. You know what I mean? I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But that it shouldn't be shocking that we have a high number of injuries. Just, uh, you know, the prep's not there. And I mean, who knows the, the amount of conditioning that, that these guys were able to get in, you know, given the uncertainties of what this pandemic has brought, depending on where you're located, what your dedication may be. Hmm. Uh, the word on the street is is that Earl Thomas had still not signed, but too good of a talent to remain on the sidelines so long. We'll have to wonder about Caps, buddy, as far as if the phone rings for him. But uh, we knew that it comes to Earl Thomas, you know, Mr. Reed. Yes, I think he was going to start with the, ta the Texans. I know Skip Bayless was really hoping that he would sign with the Cowboys. Which probably would have been too much to stomach because you know Cowboys getting someone like them could make them dangerous. Houston, they have far too many problems, but I'm sure J.J. Watt's not complaining about Earl Thomas probably signing with the Houston Texans. And another big story coming out of the No Fun League is that Nick Foles is going to be the starter as he replaced Tabriski in the game on Sunday with Atlanta. So, um... I guess, is it safe to say that the Trubisky experiment or experience has come to uh, an end in Chicago with Nagy, who obviously has to protect himself and make sure he doesn't get fired. But it just seems, um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think the kids played that bad, but Bears are off to a 3-0 start. A lot of exciting stuff. They feel they can compete now, especially with the Vikings stumbling. I just think it's kind of odd to uh, give up on this kid that early. I mean, yes, 
I, mean, I don't know if he's got complete loser written all over him. Maybe they shouldn't have taken him, but then maybe he's able to latch on somewhere, or he just becomes the next in a long slew of journeyman quarterback. On the sad front, speaking of Chicago, we know that Hall of Famer, legendary Gail Sayers passed away last week on on the 23rd and a career that was unfortunately cut short by injuries. And in his brief window, he was uh, quite iconic. Six touchdowns in the game. I mean, he was, you know, the all-purpose guy long before we were talking about it. Uh, aside from me, we all grew up watching the Tear Jerker Brian song about him and his relationship with the late Brian Piccolo. But beyond that, Sayers has always been an exemplary citizen, a true ambassador as far as the NFL's brand is concerned. I know that those teams that he played on with Dick Buckus, they did not have the hardware, but they are a deep part of the league's lore. Um, you know, like I said, you know, what's it been, you know, when you talk about guys like Tom Seaver and Lou Brock, these are iconic people passing away, not just from my childhood, but, you know, just in sport in general. And, you know, these kind of type of guys who have allowed us to build this wonderful sports tradition that we have in this country. You know, rest in peace, Gil. You know, our respects go out to your, to your family. And also, and, and I might add, even though this isn't, it's got a sports connection. I just found this out too. I was hearing things on the wire that you know the legendary singer songwriter Mac Davis also passed away. Why make the connection here? Because as we talked about uh, previously, of my favorite sports football movies, and I mentioned Nerf Dallas Forty. Well, remember Mac Davis played the quarterback Seth Maxwell, who was you know paired up with Nick Nolte's character Phil Elliott, and I still say that's one of the all-time football movies, especially in its time period. You know, it's given you know uh, a, a, a nice overhead on you know the the, the abuse and the excess involved in, the, in pro football. I mean, obviously, except we talked about playmakers, I feel like that's an updated, it was an updated version of the kind of things you were seeing in North Dallas, Florida. So let's do the recap. Ding, ding, ding. So, you know, I'll go backwards. Uh, Monday night, the two heavyweights, or at least as far as what you would call the two faces of the game. Having Lamar and Showtime, or somebody call him Lombardi Mahomes, which I just thought is absolutely ridiculous. But hey, in that game, he became Patrick became the fastest to reach ten thousand yards, thirty four games. Uh, Kansas City rolled. Basically, I I thought that whenever they needed to score, they did. The guy looked. I don't want to call him Lombardi or Goat, but he's definitely Showtime. I mean, truly home box office, showtime, all that rolled up into one. I, just watching that guy and the confidence and the toolkit that he brings to the table. But yeah, there's a certain elegance in watching this guy right now. And Baltimore, who, as we talked about with Dave Williams when we did our NFL preview, they're no slouch. I really expect them to get better as the season goes on. I know they're playing my Washington football team this week, and they're going to probably roll. Not really going to be a good indicator of them bouncing back, but I do feel that 
That's the team to watch. And I think KC took its foot off the accelerator and allowed Baltimore to like have a window where I believe it got to be about 27-20. But yeah, Chiefs just kicked it back into gear. And because they can score so um, effortlessly, well, it looks that way. And with the, you know, just the arsenal of weapons at Mahomes. And I said, this guy's so talented, you know, that, that he's got, he's taken some of the skills he learned being a, a two sport superstar. Cause you obviously know his dad, Samuel Beer, and you see some of his motions that he has that you can tell came from playing on the diamond, you know, being able to throw across the body, you know, being an infielder and all those things and how it's translating. And we're seeing this whole different variation of somebody who's got great wills, great awareness, I mean, what can you just say about these guys who uh, get to grow up in uh, professional, their dad's a professional sports player. The amount of insight and coaching you get from these guys, especially if they were halfway decent. Yeah, it's not shocking to see this generation of players' kids just be completely badass. You know, straight up. Anyway, Chiefs looking really good after a scare. With San, with San Diego at SoFi. Yeah, they got back on the saddle, and they're definitely, if there's, if there's, if there's rankings out there, they're obviously at the top. Um, and Niners and Giants, they roll. The injuries continue. And like I said in the previous, you know, uh, not segment, but um, heading, because I was talking about the league itself, that uh, Shanahan and Mr. Lynch, we're going to have some conversations with the league. Talk with Goodell and Troy Vincent regarding the turf. I don't necessarily think it's that. I just realized the conditioning. But yes, to mention Jordan Reed, that, that the, the casualties for the Niners are stacking up. Giants looking not so good right now. Kind of rudderless. You know, I think people have been asking, do they start wanting to pull the plug on Daniel Jones? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Give the guy a chance. I just lost Saquon Barkley. Yeah, you may have to take it in the shorts. And I know with the Jets being poo-poo as well, it's kind of hard for New Yorkers, especially with that team, you know, up in you know Western New York, just balling. Yeah. So anyway, speaking of that team, well, they spotted, they took, we're taking it to the Rams. Let the Rams win, and then, well, not the Rams, the Rams win, excuse me. The Rams take the lead, driving for a score. Some people say it was a legitimate pass interference call. I thought I was ticky-tack and bogus in that particular situation. I mean, you're just throwing flags for the sake of it, but regardless, the Rams fucking um, fr frenzied comeback comes up short. Buffalo wins again. Josh Allen is... Ascending on us. What is it? I forget why the, the number of games that, that it is. He's got a stretch now where he's got 33 touchdown passes to three interceptions. I mean, think about that. You know, that's like, you know, uh, basically 11 to 1. So, yeah, he's he's balling. You know, you know obviously, I know he's a, played high school football down the road from where I grew up. But, uh, I, Unlike any others, I wasn't that impressed when he was at Wyoming. I've watched a couple of games. Obviously, the Ducks played them. And I'm like, when I'm, what I'm seeing on my TV, 
Sunday watching the Red Zone and jumping back from game to game. Uh, this guy's a real deal. Is he in that next echelon? No, but he's ascending. I mean, you're gonna. He's trying to force his way in the conversation. Bill's looking pretty strong right now. Uh, Cleveland, Washington. Speaking of, as Josh Allen ascends, Dwight. Look, I'm thinking about White White. No, Dwayne Haskins, Mr. Ohio State, regressing. I wish I could be more. Uh, if I could have more empathy, I really want this guy to succeed. But uh, this particular loss is on him. Yeah, we had some lapses. Defense played well enough to win the game. And had they got some turnovers, we might have. But Haskins had four turnovers, and three of them led to points. Staring down receivers. Now, I know the Washington football team was limited, but that was a winnable game in Cleveland. Yes, it was. And this was one they served on the platter. As you don't hear the Skip Baylesses and the Baker Mayfield touting it. Because this wasn't really a game where Baker did anything to write home about. This is more about the Washington football team serving it up on a silver platter. And once again, like in the case of Trubisky, uh, Daniel Jones, do you have to give up on these guys that early when you suck? I mean, yes, when you see Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Lombardi Mahomes. You see these guys. But that's because those teams or organizations are solid in every aspect. Drafting, offense, defense, good coaching. It's more than just having one of these young guns come in there and have immediate success or relative, you know, success that happens, you know, when you're, by the end of year one or into the second season. You know, the rest of these teams, your organization sucks, and, and yes, you draft these quarterbacks. You have to show a little bit more patience. You know, I get in the case with Chicago, you're having someone on fools. He's got a ring on his finger. Um, didn't do so well in Jacksonville, but apparently could be the man in Chicago. But anyways, tough loss, but it's a bad division, so even with, with, their, with their loss, Still tied with the Cowboys at one and two. We'll get to that. Uh, so Philadelphia and Cincinnati play to a tie. Yeah, I know they still have those, and I know that uh, Peterson's getting all kinds of heat for for punting, but you know the whole Carson Wentz thing. It's just I don't want to dismiss Cincinnati. They've been competitive in all games. We're what we we see. The wisdom of taking somebody who, who can actually compete from day one, being Joe Burrow, whereas we just talked about Dwayne Haskins and Jones and Trubisky. I like what I'm seeing from this Burrow kid, and I think it's more about Cincinnati not being as much of a patsy than Carson Wentz. Yes, the Eagles are having some issues in the 0-2-1, but this is a bad division, as many people are saying. They can still get it together and end up 8-7-1 and be in the playoffs and be cold chilling. Well, speaking of the Las Vegas Raiders, yeah, I guess they came back to earth. <laughs> you know that that trip, you know, that that uh, ten a.m. Pacific or one p.m. Eastern trip across the country, especially. 
going to Gillette, which, you know, well, not just that city, House of Horrors. Yeah, they had their moments in the 70s as far as the Sugar Bear Hamilton moment. <laughs> For those of you who are old enough to know, to know what that's all about. But yeah, I thought they came back to Earth. I thought Cam, you know, once again, you're seeing this. Pedro's quietly taking care of business. Going to be really exciting to see New England and Buffalo when they match up as far as... Because I, I, I really believe the Patriots are still as formidable. I mean, yes, you don't have the GOAT driving the bus, but Cam is pretty good. And, they, and Josh McDaniels designing a offense that caters to his strengths, but can somehow also protect Cam from himself you know, limit that exposure, especially once we start, you know, getting into the weeks. Patriots can be hella tough. They just, uh, it's, it's Bill Belichick. And they have the pieces on both sides of the ball. Nothing flashy and flamboyant, but it is still, even with Buffalo's ascent to being, you know, a legitimate team, it's still a chicken and dumplings division with, you know, Miami and the Jets. Come on now. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't, you know... I'm not one of these people who see the Pats dropping off the 6-10 and 10, like Skip Bayless and others were kind of saying. I, I do see this as being a 9-11 win team. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we talked about Minnesota and Tennessee. And, um, yeah, that's, that's some crazy stuff there, right? On the field... Titans edged the Vikings for the big road win. The Vikings are 0-3. I think Kirk looked a lot better in this particular game, but still lost. Um, you know, obviously, with the COVID concern, and that's we also had Pittsburgh and Houston. Looking at Big Ben continuing his reemergence as he led the Steelers to a seven-point win at home. Um, the Jets, as I said a second ago, just they're horrible. I, Colts rolled. And but I guess, you know, it's not hard to look like a contender when you're playing this sorry excuse for a professional team. Um, that, especially in the Big Apple. It's, you know, I know this has been talked about on a lot of the sports talk shows and, and whatnot. It's how New York as a whole has, you know, the biggest collection of really poorly run teams. Or just crappy teams at this moment, you know. But the uh, the Mets kind of being, you know, flatlined. The Jets and Giants being horrible. The Knicks being a joke. Eh, Brooklyn's all right, but uh, yeah, there's there are currently some really bad teams in Gotham. It's uh, Carolina and the Chargers. Herbert since back to back three hundred yard games, but they come up short, and. I, you know, I, the pan, I thought that was a winnable game. You know, obviously, the Raiders were able to take care of business against them the previous week. But and that game was a little bit more competitive than the scoreboard showed. And I guess being able to come to SoFi and taking out the Chargers, you know, as far as the New Orleans having a couple of losses, who knows? Maybe Carolina can sneak in there. I do feel that there are going to be multiple teams from the AF, from the NFC South as far as the wild card. Um, you know, 
Denver and Tampa Bay, yeah. What do I say about that? Brady definitely took care of things in a whole home fashion. Kind of funny watching Uncle Shay and Skip fighting over letter grades as far as you know, Brady's performance. Like they went out there and did what they did. I mean, it looked familiar to me as far as how Brady used to do things up in New England, you know, in that kind of not so surgical way. But I think I think it's worth taking note because, as was discussed during our NFL play view, play view preview. <laughs> oh gosh, grief! Yeah, at ten twenty, we're still struggling. And this, like I said, this is a long show. We've had a lot of content. Got another segment with Alec coming up, and I'm slowly getting through the NFL recap, having a good time. It's a great thing when you have your own show and your own producer and all that sort of thing. You know, hopefully the content is engaging enough for y'all to still want to keep listening. Um, yeah, anyway, Brady taking care of business in ho-hum fashion. Seattle and Dallas, which was a fantastic game. Russell Wilson staying hot as the Seahawks were stand a very fierce Dallas rally. You know, Skip was crying about that in the end, but didn't, you know, I thought it was more of Seattle letting Dallas back in. I mean, come on, Metcalf. You all have watched the film. Stop showboating. I don't want to see anybody else getting a ball punched out of their hand for prematurely celebrating. Come on, you gots to be better than that. Anyhow, Seahawks withstood that. Got a big win. Dallas scoring a little, always digging these holes, but always being able to dig out of them. I don't know if it's garbage time. What's going on there with Dak in the early part of these games? But they're one and two type of the Washington football team. Uh, Legends dueled it out on Sunday night with uh, A. Rodge getting the better of Breeze in a battle of future Hall of Famers and Atlanta. The ATL, another blown lead. Everybody's talking about, you know, I don't know how Arthur Blank sleeps at night. With the five stripes, Atlanta United going into the cooler, and this Atlanta team that's just going to be the subject of NFL beams for you know the foreseeable future. You know, going back to that 28-3 blown Super Bowl lead and what happened previous week, and now with Dallas, and now again with the Bears. And so the Bears, being the, we just talked about making the quarterback switch off to a very exciting start there. But I think with Atlanta, is very troubling. And when you have to start to wonder, coach, start to look at Matty Ice, a lot of these guys, and just say, y'all ain't got enough heart? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That's just the way I see it. I just don't think it's a really good situation going on there. I mean, there's a lot of talent. You know, that Julio Jones is a little bit nicked up. Let's see here. You see that Detroit got a much-needed win. They upset Arizona and Kyler Murray at home. Uh, very shocking because as I was singing the praises of the Cardinals after taking care of my Washington football team, not that, that that's a feat, but they took care of the 49ers as well. And here of Detroit, when you think that uh, they're on life support, all of a sudden getting a big win against a team that is very good. Make no mistake about it. Right on Honolulu Blue. 
And like I said, we were doing this in reverse way back. It seems like an eternity now, which was six days ago. But uh, the game that, you know, somebody had to win and somebody had to watch it. I know it was on the corner of my eye. Thank goodness the NBA playoffs were on. But that Miami-Jacksonville game. I mean, talk about a, a, a sight for the sorest eyes. And yeah, somebody had to win it. Somebody had to watch it. Vins get it going. Not so sure what's going on there with Jacksonville. You know, kind of thought it would be a better story with uh, Mr. Minchell. <laughs> All righty. Well, that's interesting as we reach, you know, the, as we, I shouldn't say reach, but as we enter the third hour of episode 17, just bringing in all kinds of stuff, I'll come back with another lengthy segment looking at the NBA. As I was saying, creeping into hour three of episode seventeen. Yeah, crazy what you can do when you when you start talking about what's going on in the world of sports. And as I mentioned earlier, it's so jam packed in the days. Like right now, I'm watching Cincinnati and Atlanta, where it's zero zeros in the sixth inning. Beautiful day in uh, the ATL. Well, it's not actually in the ATL. Anyway, that's what's going on there. Um, let's talk about the NBA. Final start tonight. Wednesday, we'll have this podcast out before Game 1 tips, which means we can tell you that uh, what happened last week. The Nugs out-hustled the Lakers to take Game 3. And the Lakers locked down in Game 4. And then I just think Denver ran out of gas, and the Lakers were able to close out in 5. I told you all about Superhero LeBron. Superhero LeBron showed up in Game 5. Um, definitely looks like he's tapping into another gear. Had a triple dub in the closeout game. It was just, just, just fierce. And that's why it's going to be really interesting to see him in the next round. Obviously, on the other side of the equation, Hero had a big 37-point game when the Heats took a 3-1. That's Tyler Hero. Take a 3-1 lead. Boston took Game 5 to extend the series. And then Miami closed Boston out to advance to the finals. Um, this team really scares me. And the same way that Denver did. Not as much as Houston and Portland. Do I think the Lakers are going to win? Yeah, I do. I think the Lakers are going to win 5. But this could be a long series. Houston's tough. However, I feel... The Lakers get anything from their supporting cast. Morris, Caruso, Killer Coos, McGee, White White. They get significant contributions. Lakers will win in five. Uh, if these guys struggle, uh, who knows? It could, it, could, it could be a deep and long series, but I just feel seeing the look of determination of LeBron, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Harrow, Gordon Dragic. Yeah, these boys can ball. 
not taking anything for granted, not getting overconfident if you're a Laker fan. So, yeah, looking really excited. Talk a little bit more about that with uh, Alec in the next, uh, when I get to the end of the segment, you know, he's going to come back for one more round. Uh, we'll be talking also about Doc Rivers being out as the coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I think it was really unfortunate there. My take on it is that Steve Ballmer, mega billionaire, Microsoft money, he had a great laugh, especially after taking the team over, after the Donald Sterling debacle. Laughing his butt off at the Lakers. But we were going through the dark days of Jim Buss. We share a building. And he had his laugh. And I think it just broke his back that all the moves, money, talk about getting their own arena out in Inglewood near SoFi. And be on course to finally challenge the Lakers' supremacy of the city. Get your opportunity. You have Kawhi, Pandemic P. And come up short. We talked about it, talked about it, talked about it. We'll talk and talk about it more when I, when I, when I get with Alec. Again, in the last the end of the segment. Anyway, so Doc's out by surprise. And the second time since he's been a coach of the LA Clippers, blowing a 3-1 lead. And for me, it really still comes down to the bitterness of seeing the Lakers, who had hit rock bottom, make it to the finals, and be on the cusp of their 17 championship, and they can't even get to the conference final. Poop, 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 poop. But, you know, as a Laker fan, you know it really pains me. Not a lot of empathy there for Mr. Bomber and his clips. When we talk about Mr. Bomber a little bit later. Billy D got a hire in Chicago. Kind of shocking. I talked about that briefly at the end of last week. Kind of surprised that not a lot of resistance to this hire compared to Steve Nash in Brooklyn. Maybe because he's got experience. They really like the job that he did with the Oklahoma City Thunder, especially, you know, after losing their legacy three players. Still was a playoff team. I think it's a good hire. Kind of surprised, given the debate, that there really wasn't, you know, a lot of debate about that. I know the Philadelphia opening is there. Could be Doc. Be curious to see who Ballmer convinces to come to coach the Clippers. Will it be one of these analytics kids, or will it be a trusted name? This is going to be a very intriguing hire. Um, you know, obviously last week, be remiss if I didn't mention the, the grand jury verdict in Louisville and how that sort of cast a pall over a lot of things last week. As you saw in the post-game interviews, you know, there were some people who really felt that uh, they were wondering if the players would go on strike again. I think that was going to be was going to happen. I get the feeling that the the one moment they had after 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 Blake's shoot after Blake's shooting in Kenosha. It came to a crossroads, and I think now you get the sense that the players know. They just have to keep putting the messaging out there and keep, you know, joining the voices of, uh, that, that are calling for reform. I mean, you're not going to even address the uh, the abolished stuff. That's, you know, for somebody else to discuss. But I just think that keeping, you know, the dialogue open, continuing the play, 
is the best way, the way to get the message out there and keep you know awareness at, at the highest levels possible. Um, let's see here. What else do we have here? Um, I think that's about it as far as what I want to talk about the NBA. I mean, the finals kind of speaks for itself, right? It's going to be you know, exciting stuff starting tonight, 6 o'clock Pacific time. And now, let's see here. We can go to... And I talked to Alec, actually, a little bit about the NBA. And, you know, he's always got some interesting thoughts. So I'm going to move into that segment here momentarily. Okay, so we're back with Alec one more time here to talk some NBA playoffs. Because last time we were here... When he was on the show, we had some discussions. Now we've got lots of data. A lot of activity has gone on since then. So let's just jump in here. And before we get to the finals matchup, let's just talk bubble playoffs here real quick. And for you, what was the biggest shocker of the playoffs and why? Okay, I've heard, well, first of all, it was a shocker to me that they, got, that they uh, have pulled this thing off. All right. They went through a lot of speed bumps along the way. Um, you had the social justice protests. You had just the mere fact of getting everyone into the bubble. You had players um, kind of gripe about not wanting to be there or how it wasn't a good situation, which I totally understand. To be basically shoved to a part of the country and not be allowed to leave for months is, would be tough for anyone. So that was a shocker to me. Now, in terms of on court, I would say going back to before the playoffs started, a shocker to me was how well the Phoenix Suns actually. Now, this is going to get forgot about, but because they didn't complete the playoff run. Um, the fact that they went 8-0, and they showed they have a good young up-and-coming team. Um, I did not see – I saw Phoenix as just kind of a throwaway team that they had to put in there just because. But they came to play in there, and uh, they have a lot of good young talent. Like they have, I mean, Booker seems to be. Um, oh, he's a real deal. Just on fire almost every game there. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll go one step further. I think they would have given the Lakers a hell of a lot more problems than Portland ultimately did, had they been yeah. able to. Have, you know, if Portland somehow stumbled. Yeah, Portland. Yeah. I mean, Portland. I mean, obviously, Portland was hot in the. Bubble. Lillard had some just amazing um, performances. Like he was putting up fifty-point games, like with ease. Um, now, like go at, when the playoffs actually started. Now, one thing I definitely am shocked that the Miami Heat are the team that got out of the East because nobody, anyone who says they saw that coming, is lying. Because they def everyone was saying Milwaukee with Giannis. Um, Boston arguably is the most, in terms of just pure talent, arguably the most talented team from the East. And Toronto seemed to have just a good foundation. I mean, obviously, I think Kawhi hurt them, but they have a bunch of ballers who just go out there and play that are good. So Miami to get out of there is surprising. Now, maybe in hindsight, it shouldn't be as surprising because We're just they not. had time to develop over the break. And people forget that at the trade deadline, they made a deal where th with Memphis where they added Jay Crowder and Igudala to the mix. Mm -hmm. And 
that team was only really together for three weeks before things got shut down. So I think a lot of people kind of forgot that they made those additions and were like kind of looking at the heat from the team that you saw from October until like the trade deadline. So, so I mean, those are okay. Those are pleasant surprises. And the one thing I will say from watching the bubble is, man, the Western Conference is going to be crazy tough the next oh, three, four years. Without I mean, a doubt. It's very strong I don't teams. See any team that really, if I had to pick a team that has the most downside in the West, it's the San Antonio Spurs right now. Without a doubt. I just don't see Greg Popovich letting that organization just uh, and turn preferred, into no. a laughing stock. Oh, no so, doubt. So, yeah. I mean, every team is young. Every team has talent. And it's going to be tough. Get, get, I mean, getting out of the West the next three, four years is going to be a tough task for any team that gets out of it. Okay. Oh, the De- another thing I will I, I, I can't forget about the Denver Nuggets. Oh, no, no doubt. From two, three, one deficits. And I think Jamal Murray um, asserted himself as like one of the best young talents in the league. Oh, absolutely. The of the I mean, the Joker's no slouch. Like the second bet as the Robin to Jokic, but I mean, they might have a solid 1A, 1B combination for years. Their supporting cast, as we just saw, toughest nails. So let me ask. So along those lines, before we get into the finals matchup, so you you, you just brought up the, the Nuggets. Like who impressed you and who disappointed you? As far now that we've had time to distill the the first three rounds of of the playoffs. You mean like what team? Or Teams or players? You can get either way. Just in um, just general thought. I mean, okay, I mean, this is the obvious answer, mm-hmm. I, and I'm not breaking ground by saying it. The player that disappointed me the most was definitely Paul George. I mean, pandemic P. Look at all the you you look at all the what all the Clippers gave up to get him. All right, they pretty much mortgaged their draft picks for the next seven years Mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes to get him there. For him to not show up in the playoffs. I mean, I'm not even talking even before the Denver series. He had a lot of stinker games like even going back to Dallas in the series against them. So um, if I had to pick a player that disappointed me, that would be it. Um, teams, I mean, not that I'm sad about this, but the Clippers definitely come to come to mind. And Without ultimately, it, fair or not, it cost their coach a job because of not being able to meet those expectations. Oh, yeah, because we'll get to that in, in, in a minute, but go ahead. I mean, ultimately, they were the preseason. I mean, it's easy to say now that everyone saw the Lakers with AD and LeBron being able to stroll to the finals, but go back to October. Look at every preseason projection. At least seven out of ten had the Clippers getting Oh, heck. We had our buddy Skip Bayless put on a Clipper jersey, Kawhi's jersey, and we know how he feels about Kawhi since he felt like Kawhi turned this back on San Antonio. Old Skip was wearing the Clippers jersey, talking about you know how this is Kawhi's town and he's gunning for LeBron and all that stuff. Oh, I know. And the end of the day, they had the most talented team probably in the league, and to lose in the second round and blow a three-one deficit is definitely nothing you that uh, is disappointing. I mean, I don't see how a team. Now, other disappointments I would say would be. Um, I mean, the Sixers, they have so much talent on that team, young talent, and they can't put it together. I mean, 
they just went out like with a whimper. I mean, right. I don't know. I don't know what to think of that team. Maybe a coaching change, and they still have a vacancy. Will be something that could be used there. Absolutely, um, we'll bring that up here when I ask when we talk about the coaching carousel. Orleans was a disappointment. If you go back to the um, bubble, because I mean, I feel. I, I mean, part of me feels the NBA made the format they did. I justify putting the Wizards in there because to try to like have some semblance of consistency was to try to get Zion in the playoffs and try to get that first round matchup with Le- LeBron. I mean, that setup was meant for New Orleans to take the eighth seed, and they stumbled. They had some head scratching losses during the regular part, and that ultimately cost their coach their job, his job too. Absolutely. So, and well, and as it should have been. The good, the good things, I mean, gotta give it to Miami. I mean, I mean, if you think about Pat Riley post Lakers, this is the fourth group that he's basically been able to assemble to make a finals run. Um, you got the Knicks team he assembled in '94. You got the Wade Shack team, and mm-hmm. then you, obviously you have all those LeBron teams, and now you have this team, which kind of came out of nowhere. So, um. Definitely got to give Riles credit on this one. Obviously, Coach Bolstra as well. And Coach Bolstra, man. I mean, definitely, I mean, I don't know where I would rank him exactly, but easily a top five coach in the NBA. Without without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay, so let's talk about this finals matchup then, since we're talking about the Heat. What intrigues you the most about this matchup between L.A. and Miami? What intrigues me the most is... um, LeBron's, LeBron's quest to try to chase down the GOAT, um, which everyone acknowledges as Michael Jordan. Now, personally, I don't really see a path to him chasing him down, a realistic path. I mean, obviously, if he wins the next five titles, that's something that we could talk about then. Mm-hmm. And But no one realistically thinks that's going to happen. So, um, so that path, also becoming the first player to – basically lead a team to three different finals. I mean, we have role players that have won championships with three teams, but no one has ever led a team to three different to three championships. And to do it in his 17th year is right. something that I feel that's probably unprecedented in uh, sports. I mean, He's like went to the finals with five different coaches, I believe. Yeah, with five different coaches. And some of the coaches he's taken to the finals, let's be real, like Mike Brown... David Blatt. Mr. Peabody, oh <laughs> Lord. <laughs> yes, I know. So, so you know what? That intrigues me. But, I mean, I'm looking at it from a neutral point of view. There's kind of a Cinderella story with the Miami Heat. Um, they have a collection of good players, very good players. Um, Drogic has had a good career. I mean, he's been a 20-point-a-game scorer, and stops he's had, like in Phoenix, he was. Um Butler's had a good career too, but they don't really have a superstar. But they got, but they, they show how well they've drafted. Like Bam out of Bayou, man. That oh God, what a baller he's showing us in these playoffs. He's yeah, be a superstar absolutely. I mean, I could see him being the second best big man. I mean, I could see him being in the Jokic AD uh, group for years to come. Definitely, definitely, he's um, playing himself into and the also conversation. Like I mean, they seem to get a guy that comes out of nowhere to give you a 30-point game. 
um, every so often. And, I mean, one thing that does fear me as a Lakers fan is that this Heat team might remind – there might be parallels between this team and the 2004 Pistons. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. But just in terms of a solid – a solid amount of good players that play well together as a team. So that's an intriguing story. But then you also, like I said, you also have AD, who I would not be surprised if he was the finals MVP in this series because I feel like, I actually feel the Heat are built to stop LeBron, a player like LeBron, more so than they are to stop a player like AD. Because I don't feel like the Heat have size to... Um, match up with AD, other than Adebayo. Well, AD but has shown... They have, guys, they have guys they could throw at LeBron. Like, you could throw Butler, you could throw Crowder at him, you could throw Iguodala, who, man, somehow LeBron and Iguodala meet again. Right. <laughs> I, I was going to say that with AD, that, you know, obviously he has his lapses, but when he's fully engaged, I don't know if anybody has anything to match up with him as far as what he can do inside-outside. I would like to see him hit the glass a little bit more and take some more, you know, touches in the paint. But still, I mean, I, I, I don't see anybody really having anything to stop that guy when he's engaged. No. Yes, I, I, I definitely agree. So, and you know what? For him to get a title after, and for him to come to L.A., completely change his legacy, force his way out of New Orleans, but... And you know what? Another intriguing story is that the Lakers pretty much traded every young chip they had, instead of except for Kuzma, to get AD, and to have to have everything work out after for them after the chaos that was last summer. And man, they, the organization looked like a mess last summer. But to be standing here a year from about a year later, or a little more than a year later, due to the pandemic and have the Larry O'Brien in sight. Right. Isn't um, it funny how all that talk about Palinka being incompetent, uh, Jeannie and uh, Kurt Rambis' wife being, what are they doing making decisions? I haven't heard a peep about any of that in the last 12 months. It's, it's cracking oh, me no. up. Oh, it's all, um, no, it's all come back to, um, um, no, it's all worked out. And you know what? The Laker, One thing as a Laker fan, now Phil was the exception, mm -hmm. but the Lakers have always gone with kind of out-of-the-box coaching hires, okay? Like Paul Westhead, who led them to the finals in 80, was not someone that you expected to get that type of job. Hey, Riley, Riley at the time, he was working with Chick. Yeah, Riley, yes, exactly. He was working as a analyst with Chick and got thrown into that position. And then you go to Mike Dunleavy leading the 91 team. He had just retired as a player two years ago. And That's true. I know Vogel wasn't the first choice for the Lakers, but I feel like at the he I mean, I feel like he was the perfect coach for this team. Like they needed someone who didn't have a big ego, who was just kind of gonna sit back, listen to the players, and a very good defensive coach. So um, so, I mean, it could be like one, so that could be a good story. There's so many good storylines in the finals. Okay. Looking forward to it. So what's your um, prediction then? I will go Lakers. I, you know what? I'm going to give the Heat a little respect. I'll go, I'm debating between Lakers and five or Lakers and six. Um, I'll give the Heat two games. So I'll go Lakers and six because ultimately I just don't think LeBron's going to be stopped. And I forgot about the main story. Uh, 
main one. Laker, LeBron versus his former team in the finals. Now, Lakers in six. There was a lot of bad blood, I feel. There, there is a lot of bad blood. No question there about it. still to this day a lot of bad blood. Because Riley feels that LeBron ruined his dynasty by going back to Cleveland. I don't think he expected that. I don't think anyone expected LeBron to make that move when he did. So oh, yeah. I think Riley's bitter because he feel. I mean, he pretty much said so in an interview a couple years ago. Um, I feel like Riley is bitter that he feels like LeBron ruined the chance that they had at becoming like a Russell Celtics type dynasty, basically. This is true. And we've so, and then uh, from what I heard, the two of them haven't really had um, much. Uh, communication no they haven't broke bread and lebron seems to keep in touch with a lot of his ex-teammates absolutely that seems um that seems to mean something like he and we know how good of friends he and wade still are to this day so um and then you also so yeah that's um that's the that's where i was going i forgot what my next thought was. well that's okay that's uh, that's fine we've, we're getting great information here so okay so you you say six i say five i i think the superhero lebron that we got a little whiff of in the closeout game in denver and we've seen in various moments in the other two series is going to be full, now that he's on the precipice of another title i think we're going to see some really ridiculous things from lebron i just feel that way but let me just let me jump to this here. Let me since we got your prediction, let's talk about this NBA coaching carousel. And the first thing I want to ask you about, you know, we've talked about this repeatedly, you know, in our text and stuff like that. But the Nash hiring and the controversy that that was associated with that. How do I mean? Give us a, give us your spill on that. First of all, I completely understand the controversy. Um, now. Stephen A. Smith obviously had his comment about it, and he did make a big, he did make a good point that coaches that typically get first-year jobs that are African American, you go to Doc Rivers, he took over a rebuilding Orlando team. You had Derek Fisher, who really got the job because of Phil, but basically took over a mess as an example. And now, Jason Kidd did take over a team that was expected to make a run in the East because they had acquired Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in an offseason trade with the Celtics, and that didn't materialize. But on paper, none of those jobs were as enticing as the job that Steve Nash got with the Brooklyn Nets. And it came, I, think part of the, I think part of the reason why it got so much controversy Especially when you compare to like when Kerr got hired with the Warriors, um, five years, like mm. six years ago now, mm -hmm. is because Kerr's name had been had been Kerr had interviewed with other jobs. He had been a broadcaster for years, and he was actually a GM in Phoenix for a couple years that people seem to forget about in the early part of the last decade. Um, so. Kerr's getting hired wasn't a surprise because his name was always in the conversation. Right, and, and he's highly respected as opposed to someone like Luke Walton, who basically was his custodian and all of a sudden got vaulted into like, hey, he's the next great coach, and we see how that worked out for us in L.A. And Oh, God, I know, I know, for sure. But Nash, if you really break it down, okay, taking, I completely understand why this happened, and 
honestly, like, we had another firing today. I mean, the NFL has a Rooney rule in place, and, I mean, we've had we had another African-American coach lose his job today. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it was unjustified, but there definitely needs to be some – there might need to be some Rooney rule put in place in the NBA, but that's a different conversation. Well, in terms ooh. of Nash, though, just looking at him independently – he kind, I think because he stayed behind the scenes, people don't realize how qualified he actually is to get this job, despite his lack of experience. Um, he, was a, he, was, he worked for the Warriors for the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot of player development stuff. He coached the Canadian national team, which, yeah, I mean, you could um, shrug that off, but it shows he does have experience, like, with little things you would expect a coach to have to learn about, like when to call a timeout, how to use your bench and rotations, um, how to manage a team throughout a, maybe not throughout a season, but throughout a two, three week period. So he has those. And then what people forget that the one part of the story people miss is that when he was with the Warriors, he had the benefit of establishing a relationship with Kevin Durant. And from everything I heard, Kevin Durant, wanted Steve Nash to be the coach of that team. Like, he was he was Steve Nash's biggest cheerleader right. to get Steve Nash getting that job. And When you're considered the best player basketball player on the planet by many, you know, your, your, your opinion's definitely going to be valued. Yes, exactly. When you've given him that much, when you've given Kevin Durant that much money, you basically have to value his opinion. And, I mean, if they didn't hire him, now granted, it's worked out in L.A., I, I don't think Vogel was LeBron's guy, but it's worked out. So the Nets could have taken that chance. But if Steve Nash was campaigning, you definitely had to – or sorry, if Kevin Durant was campaigning for Steve Nash, you definitely had to take a look at him. So, um, so I mean, I think it's going to work out, but I do understand why it caused controversy. Well, okay. Especially uh, when you around, look around the league and you see McMillan you losing his job. Right. So let me ask you this, though, then. What I find even just as fascinating along those lines is that there was a hiring in Chicago and there was really no screaming and yelling at all. You know, granted, you know, the job that Donovan did in Oklahoma City, you know, garnered him, you know, a great deal of respect. But still, I was kind of surprised that that went down and there was hardly a ripple compared to Nash getting the New Jersey job. I think it's, a, it's, I think it's experience because... I mean, when you, I mean, Billy Donovan, he made the playoffs each of his four years he was in um, Oklahoma City. They're, I think one of the underrated coaches in the in basketball. I don't, I, I don't even know if he's underrated, but a solid coach in basketball. I think he does get respect for being a great coach um, because the job he did after losing Durant after his first year, I think most people picked the Thunder to miss the playoffs that year because – it was just Westbrook and a bunch of, I mean, what they felt nobodies. Got an MVP True. season out of Westbrook. Got them to the playoffs another couple of years. But after last year, when they lost Westbrook and Paul George and all they got was an aging CP3 in return, I don't think anybody expect nobody in their right mind expected the Thunder to be anything last year. And, and they were a few were, bad possessions away from making the second round. That was I mean, outside of Nick Nurse in, in uh, Toronto, I think that was as good a coaching job as 
anyone in the league did. Well, I concur 100% as far as that goes. So let's talk about Doc here real quick before I get to the last que- the last questions about the next season. So you we talked about you talked about it briefly, and you know Doc's pedigree is well known from anybody who follows basketball. Do you get the sense that Balmer overreacted, especially with the all the trash he's talked and tried to put it in the Lakers' face? Do you think that the Lakers making it to the final was the not the final straw? As far as Doc getting fired, or was it was it in jest? I think I okay. I think Ballmer possibly overreacted. I can understand the argument for both sides, and I will act, I will say this: um, as much as I didn't want to see the Clippers win personally, I do. I did feel bad for Doc Rivers, and I feel bad for him today. I honest, even though he's coached two rivals of the Lakers. Just solid basketball guy. Solid person from everything I see about Doc Rivers. Beloved throughout the league. Nobody really ever said. throughout the league. You mm-hmm. won't meet a classier person mm-hmm. than Doc Rivers. Um, I, feel that this, I feel the situation the Clippers were in. I mean, yes, we could talk about them being preseason favorites and ultimately blowing a 3-1 lead in the second round. But I don't feel like this happens in a normal situation. Um. Being in the bubble, um, they seem to have players that, and I don't think you could blame this on the coach because it was all away from the team. You had Lou Williams going out to strip clubs. Lemon Peppa Lou. Yeah. You had, I, I don't feel like the, and it didn't seem that the Clippers wanted to be there. I mean, they um, were one of two teams that wanted out of the bubble. And complained the whole time that they didn't like the the idea. Now, granted, the counter-argument is the Lakers were the other team that wanted out of the bubble, and they're four wins away from the title. So they were able to to get focused after that incident. But it just seemed that a lot of players' heads weren't straight if you were on the Clippers. So I don't think this happens in a normal situation. I don't think they blow a 3-1 lead to Denver if they have two games – actually in front of Staples Center fans. Right. Now, the flip side is there is no excuse, though, for losing that lead, especially when they had 15 – they had double-digit leads in all three games they lost, 15-point um, lead in game five, 17-point lead in game six. So – The lead was banking on that matchup. I mean, this was a, one of the biggest anticipated matchups – I can remember right in years. I mean, this it's almost like a L.A. Boston anticipation. What people had for this potential Clippers Lakers, you know, series, you know, for oh, I know. and it just it didn't happen. I can understand it, but when I look at Doc's body of work with the Clippers, um, and like about this is the Clippers. They're a joke. I mean, they. I mean, they're historically as joke a franchise as there is in the four professional sports, and that is no exaggeration. <laughs> Unquestionably. When I say that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at what Doc dealt with the first year, having the Donald Sterling situation pop up, and how gracefully he navigated the team through that. Um, when I look at the fact that he pretty much traded, he, he lost Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and was able to still keep a good culture that allowed DeAndre as well and a Kawhi Leonard to want to go there. And then people will forget that not this year, but last year, 
I felt Doc did as good a job as any coach in the NBA last year to get that to get that team to the playoffs and to win two games against the Warriors in the first round. Um, nobody saw that, especially after they traded their leading scorer in Tobias Harris mm-hmm. at the trade deadline. I think Doc's credentials speak for himself. Now, the one thing flip is that there's been he's the only coach to blow a three-one lead in a playoff series more than once. Right, and that's, he's done it three times. And that's a nasty so, thing on your resume. No matter how you slice it, no matter how beloved you are, he represents twenty-five. He represents almost twenty-five percent of the blown three-one leads in the history of the NBA. So that's not a good thing on your resume. But yeah. I feel like he had enough positives that Ballmer should have let him seen what would happen in a normal playoffs, which honestly we may we may not get a normal playoffs for another two or three years. Right. So, I mean so And you know what? And that kind of that kind of segues into what the last thing I was gonna ask you before we wrap this up, and that's that okay, Silver just came out I think this past week and said that the the next season's not gonna start until sometime in twenty twenty one in the hopes of getting a full season in. So what do you think that'll look like now that we have some data to form some opinions on? It's right with fans not being in a bubble. It depends what in my mind, okay. First of all, I agree. You need to try to get as much fan you need to try you need to buy time, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of mixing real-world news with sports here, but I feel like it's all relevant. It's all oh, it's totally relevant. It's fact pattern you have to look at if you're silver. Mm-hmm. All right? We do have vaccines in phase three trials. Now, how much those vaccines help get back to normal, assuming they actually work, assuming people actually take them, um, that's a question mark in itself. But you're buying time to have fans because, as I mentioned earlier, the league really cannot survive long term without fans. Yeah, they have a good TV deal. They need fans in the stadium. So I feel like starting the season in January, maybe when a vaccine becomes available and you could do something where you let vaccinated fans into the games, I don't know what will sure even I don't February know what it look like. But you're giving yourself a chance for that to happen. Yeah. Now, what I'm I don't think a bubble's gonna happen again. Can't, no. I feel like the league will study football, study baseball, and just see if they could pull it off without putting the players. Well, in the sure, bubble. right? Because they've been in a bubble what, since the end of June, and now we're like almost in October. That's a long time to be isolated. That's, oh yeah, it's a long time to be isolated. In terms of fans, now there are gonna be states. Okay, Florida just opened up. A hundred percent. Like, and the governor of Florida just basically said, "No, I want concerts. I want." He basically said he wants the Super Bowl, which is in February, mm-hmm. to be played in front of eighty thousand fans. I think that's a pipe dream. Oh, it's total pipe dream. Smart. I don't think that's smart. Health wise, not going to happen. We see where his head is. Mm-hmm. Okay, governor of Indiana just opened up his state, pretty much a hundred percent. It's a now. You'll have states like California, who I don't think California will let fans in any capacity until this is um, pretty much done. Right, that is contained. Just, and that's where, that's where between the Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, and Kings, that's a lot of um, revenue you're missing now. Oh, absolutely. The um, Lakers alone. So, <laughs> you throw the Warriors in there, geez. 
Yeah, you put the Warriors with their new stadium in there. Mm-hmm. Oh man. So, so I don't know. Silver, he may try. I don't know what he's willing to do. We know what the we know what certain states are willing to do. All right, but at the same time, even if a state's governor is willing to say, "Oh yeah, I'll let you ha- I'll let you play this at fifty percent capacity, full capacity, whatever." I still don't think the league wants to take that responsibility of what bad things could happen from doing that. Right, so, there's no data. There's just not enough data out there. To there's s- not enough data. There hasn't been mass... Well, actually, there was a mass event here in Vegas uh, two weeks ago, and we'll see what we'll see what data... Mass indoor event. Right. We'll see what data comes out from that event, and uh, I'm sure your viewers could figure that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. As we, as we try to stay away from those type of things. Yeah, but and, at the same time, there's not enough data to know. So I think they might try... Three, four thousand fans at most, no matter what the state says, in the places where the states will allow it. Now, we could get situations where, um, where t- where Silver just says, "Okay, Lakers, um, California, Gavin ain't gonna let any fans into the games under any circumstance." But uh, maybe down, maybe in Phoenix, they'll let you guys. That you will be able to play in front of three or four thousand fans. Um, what do you want to do for a year? I mean, that would not surprise me if something like that ended up happening, just to get revenue. Right. But obviously, I don't see an eighty-two game season happening. Um, if unless they want to fundamentally change their schedule, where the league starts in January or February, ends in what or February. Or February, and ends in August and September, and ends basically when it when it's ending right now every year, which is not a bad to, thing actually. Essentially, have to cut, have one year. If you want to get back on a normal calendar, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to bite the bullet and have a year where you have a 40, 50 game schedule. I don't see any other way you could have an 82 game schedule like Silver wants to have one. And I think the Olympics complicate things because I think he wants to – I think he definitely wants to send the players to the Olympics. But the Olympics might coincide with when you would have the second round or conference finals in the playoffs. Which is – that never happened. So, so, I mean, there's a lot of mystery for next year. But ultimately, I do think they will start a season – I think they'll have protocols in place, and I think they'll just hope for the best. And I honestly think they'll cancel games and just move forward. If that's heck, this year is the first year I think the NBA ever ended a regular season with an uneven amount of games played right. between teams. And I think they might end up being okay with doing that next year if that's what they need to be able to um, have um, have a season. Right. Okay, well, that, like that's we've got we've covered quite a bit of ground here, and I I, I like the uh, responses and the information that we've exchanged. You've, you've def- as always brought a lot to the table, and we'll definitely have you back as we you know deal with this evolving storyline with the three things we talked about because there's going to be a lot going on with all three of these things, and you know there'll be other times to talk about. And so in the meantime. We, we will talk, obviously, as we do via text, and uh, looking forward to having you back. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. Thank you very much. Okay, fantastic. Well, that was a fun three segments with Alec. It's always a pleasure to have him as a contributor on Fox Trotting in a Foxhole. Definitely looking forward to having him back again and you know, getting Brett, the corner man, hopefully Ben C, who congratulations to announcing your uh, engagement. Nice lady, it appears never actually have met her, but it seems like you two are very happy. Big props to Big C, Ben C in that regard. Um, yeah, still watching the Cincinnati-Atlanta game. It's in the eighth, and we're still got a scoreless tie going. Nice to see baseball in the daytime. Definitely has an old-school feel to it whenever you get to enjoy that. Well, good, great. This is, you know, probably the longest episode to date. Um, I guess we're at that point now where we got to get ourselves... You know it. <laughs> Some TMA time. That's right. That special person, team. Could be a lot of things. But yes, it is time for the Turd McCory Award. Thought about it hard. Now, Atlanta, you almost got there again. But you know what? I think I'm going to save this for Steve Ballmer. We just talked about it in the previous two segments. Getting rid of Doc, and I know that Doc's got some splaining to do. I mean, blowing a 3-1 lead twice as a coach of the Clippers, allowing these guys to get away with load management to the point where they became basket cases when it really mattered. But I just think, you know, all the trash, all the dancing, and this, yeah. I mean, I, I always thought he should have told Silver to... Heck with it, and move the Clippers to Seattle and revive the Sonics as opposed to trying to compete with the Lakers. But I think that uh, firing Doc, as Alec just talked about, and I mentioned you know as well in my NBA segment. In these circumstances, and I mean like the things I just pointed out are pretty egregious. And you know if this were football proper, you you would have been fired long ago for you know such missteps, but. As we discussed, Doc's well-liked, credentialed. So, yeah, I think in general, for your team, choking, and then just making a rash move, as I think. Lakers making the finals before you, you couldn't handle it. So somebody has to pay the price of you having to see all the billboards, having to see the media, just that all love affair with the Lakers reignited after the Lakers went rock bottom. You know, after, you know, Kobe got a little slew of bad coaches, unstable front office, Jim Buss, Magic Man. So, Mr. Ballmer, enjoy that stainless silver bowl full of those turds that's coming your way. Turd McCrory Award, Steve Ballmer. All right. Long, long, long episode. We finally have reached the end. I uh, hope uh, you could stay engaged all this time. Also got, as I said, something special coming out this week. Episode 1 of FTNIFFX, The Scene. Got the first interview done yesterday, and the, the show is going to be 
a lot mainly focused on doing interviews with people involved in the local arts and culture scene. Occasionally doing stories itself, but it's kind of hard. <clears throat> Excuse me. With things being shut down as it is, and that's kind of one of the reasons we've taken our time. But we've got some really interesting people already lined up and some other ideas if we can get them to comply. You know, I think that this, you know, it's good. Taking my time with it, as I've taken my time getting this one off the ground. You know, viewership is what it is, or listenership. Tell your friends. If not, I just feel that if we continue to do what we do here, breaking down the sports and you know having some interesting guests, you know that give their comments or their expertise, this is really um, a wonderful experience. I know it is for me, and I'm glad the folks that do tune in. Like I said, if you always have any feedback, questions. I didn't even get time to questions from the intelligence that we've run so long. But yes, you know, the, the, the companion podcast is seen will be out in the next day or two. I'll get this up before the, the final step off while I'm watching some baseball. Everything seems to be good. So as always, as we come to an end to another wonderful episode, you know, wear the mask, use the sanitizer, socially distance. So we can get back to going to our games or concerts and getting our party on. Stop being stupid for those who, you know, aren't quite getting it and making this look worse than it actually is. In the meantime, be safe, have fun, and uh, we'll see you here in six or seven days as always. Peace out.